like that. You want to Hello, everybody, that. and welcome like to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I know it's been a long time since we have recorded it. It's been about a week and a half to this point in time to when the last time we recorded this illustrious podcast. So I hope we didn't hurt your feelings too much, but we are here. We are live. It is December 5th. December? Why did I say December? February 15th. And right now, I've got on Caitlin Clark. Iowa's taking on Michigan. Caitlin Clark, obviously, Iowa's starting point guard. Eight points away from the NCAA all-time scoring record. So we'll be watching that. The game is just now starting, so I thought it would be a perfect time to start recording the show here. But yeah, I hope you all are not a little too upset that I haven't recorded a little bit. We've been busy. We have been busy. But before we go into anything we're going to talk about today, make sure to follow Logan Blyman Show on every single form of social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram accounts, Blackman Logan. Show's Instagram accounts, The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and like and follow the Facebook page. Make sure as well to go to LoganBlackmanShow.com where we will have blog posts as well as links to everything else that your heart could possibly desire. Just go there and we can check out our latest mantra, which we will talk about here in a little bit. But the most important thing you can do is follow Logan Blyman Show on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure to follow, like, subscribe, whatever on both. And make sure to leave a rating out of five stars on both as well in the description down below why you feel the way you do. You cannot, you don't necessarily need to give it a five-star rating, but you could if you wanted to. And Kaylin Clark has scored five points in that intro. The game started right as, <laughs> a little bit after I started recording. Tip-off happened a little bit after I started recording. And now we are almost at two minutes into the show. And she's already got five points. Iowa's up five to two. So I think it's a fair time to just do a little play-by-play here. So Kaitlyn Clark's dribbling up the court. Sizing up her defender. Passes it off. Dribble up to the top of the paint. Iowa's setting something up offensively. Kaitlyn Clark trying to get open. I don't know if they're going to force-feed her the ball. It doesn't look like they are right now. But it's, it's, it's like this really weird point. Like, does anybody remember when LeBron James broke the scoring record for, for the NBA? And I don't remember which player it was. I don't I don't remember which player it was. Was backing down a defender, had a ball, had his hand in the air, asking for LeBron to pass it on the bucket that he ended up breaking the all-time scoring record on. Like, it's one of those weird feelings. Like, do you force-feed them the ball? And Kalen Clark and LeBron obviously being the main ball handle of their respected teams, Kalen Clark obviously being the point guard, she's gonna she can afford to throw up a few shots every now and again because more often than not, Caitlin Clark is probably going to make the shot. She's probably going to make it. Now, she hasn't scored since I've started doing play-by-play about it. So, I, I would imagine she'd score more than three points the rest of the game. So, we'll we'll, we'll fill, you in, fill you in when she does score. But, man, it's been busy the past couple weeks. It has been pretty busy. So, Thursday, back in January. No, no, this was still in February. This was still in February. I'm getting all my dates mixed around right now. But, that Thursday, the last time we... Because we obviously recorded the Super Bowl preview show with Brady on Wednesday. We had the Wednesday show come out then. And then Kalen Clark just broke the record. See, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> or no, she didn't break. Th- oh, yeah, she did. Yeah, so there's the record. See, she got a little nervous because I was commentating on the game. 8-6 to six in favor of the Iowa Hawkeyes right now. But that's a crazy record. Or it's tied the record at this point, isn't it? Was she 8 points away from the record? 8 points away from breaking the record. I mean, again, she'll have more points as the night goes on. I don't think she's going to stop scoring at eight. Hell, she could score right here. Did they call a timeout? They did call a timeout. They're going to do the little 
celebratory thing probably and give all the the trophy and everything like they do every time a record gets broken I think my favorite one though (laughs) I don't remember his name but he was a running back for the Atlanta Falcons back in the 70s 70s or 80s I don't remember but he broke a thousand yards rushing for the first time in his career he and back then they didn't play as many games so rushing for a thousand yards meant a whole lot more than what it means right now but they stopped the game right after he got a thousand yards and gave him this giant trophy. And guess what happened? He got a pitch and lost four yards and then never got back over a thousand yards. And until the end of his career, he never finished with a thousand yards. He came close the year after, too. Very close the year after. But it was just so funny how that all just <laughs> stopped the game. Let's give him the trophy. Let's give him this award. Let's give him all the plots. Stop the game. Give him a standing ovation, everything, all that. And then <laughs> here's your pitch for a negative four yards. Now you don't have a thousand yards, but now, hey, you got a cool trophy. You got a commemorative, co- what do you call it? Um, not compensatory, but what, is, what do you call it? Complimentary football for your troubles here, but no more thousand yards for you. Thankfully for Caitlin Clark, she will have the record for the rest of her life. <laughs> well, not, not the last, we, we don't know. There could be someone else coming through. So I'm sure Kelsey Plume thought the exact same thing. She'll have the record for... Until she's done with college, at least. Like, it won't be like Melvin Gordon when he broke the single-season game rushing record when the Danian Tomlinson first broke it when he was with TCU. Melvin Gordon obviously broke it against Nebraska when he was with Wisconsin. The, a record that lasted from, what when was LT there? 2000 to 2015, 2014? Got broken in a week because Samaje P. Ryan ran for like 426 against Kansas. Yeah, Kalen Clark's not going to have that problem. There's no risk of her losing any baskets from this point in time. So I think we can definitively say at this point in time, as we sit here on February 15th, 20, the year of our Lord, 2024, that Caitlin Clark is the all-time score record. So congratulations to Caitlin Clark and the Iowa Hawkeyes on breaking the NCAA career scoring record. Man, crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. But I'm not gonna let you, I'm gonna not gonna mention anything rest of the game. Apart from, you know, when Kaylin Clark keeps, how however big her lead on Kelsey Plume gets as the night goes on. She is like 300-something points away from the all-time women's scoring record, but that record was pre-NCAA. At least I think, I saw it before, before the game started. It's pre-NCAA or pre-women's college basketball. So she's got a few more points to get there from the, but the officially official, official record she has broken. So congratulations to Kaylin Clark. She has eight points right now. I was up to 10, to 10-8. Uh, Changed it. <laughs> what are we even talking about? But yeah, the Thursday or the Friday after, we didn't have a show. And then the Tuesday after the Super Bowl, we didn't have a show. Bit Or Wednesday. I get, I'm get i getting my recording days and post days just flipped around here. So that Thursday, obviously, was NFL Honors. And we said we were going to have a show on Thursday, or on Friday, dang, I did it again on Friday, where we were going over everything that was taking place during NFL Honors. And it was going to be a fun show where we kind of do what we just did, where we talk about the game and talk about the results. We could bitch, moan, whatever, compliment, everything we need to do at that point. But I was at ICPA with my dad, where that is the Iowa Concrete Paving Association. It's a big conference for people in the construction industry, construction and paving industry. That took place all night. I got back to my house at 10 (laughs) o'clock, so there was 0% chance I was going to record a show, unless I wanted to stay up till about midnight, which I wasn't really planning on doing, so I went to bed, and then obviously, we didn't do a show for Wednesday, and we'll talk about, and we'll revert back to NFL Honors here in a little bit, 
but obviously didn't record a show Wednesday because I was meeting with some friends at Jethro's. We met that Tuesday night, and then after we met up there, I went over to my parents' house, hung out there for about an hour or two hours after. So I got back here again sometime around 10, maybe 9.30, 10 o'clock, somewhere around there. So just not in the position to necessarily record, but... That being said, I have done, you have to give me some plaudits here, I have done a very good job recently on being consistent on Wednesdays and Fridays. We haven't really been consistent on Mondays because Sundays are surprisingly busy right now, but Tuesdays and Thursdays, I generally have nothing going on. Wednesdays, I like to cram all my fun stuff in. Throughout the week, I focus on work. I see people on the weekends I haven't seen in a little bit, so I'll do that on Sundays usually. And obviously with football season coming on and then hanging out with friends, watching Sunday Night Football and all that stuff, makes it a little bit harder to record stuff. But, you know, we I, I think I've done a pretty good job as of late. So you can cut me some slack on two <laughs> shows that we messed up on. And I'm probably not going to have a show next week either in regards to Friday's show. So next Friday we might not have. We'll have one to Wednesday for sure. But Friday we might not because... We got, we're busy on Thursday next week, too. We're going to Miss Kitty's, which is a bar down in Windsor Heights. So we're going to be a little busy that night, too. But I don't know what time I'm going to get down there, or what I can do to get down there. So maybe miracles happen. Miracles can happen, I guess. But it's not looking likely. And then towards the end of March, I'm going down to Dallas and Fort Worth with my parents for a week. So we're going to have a little break there. But that week does span from Thursday to Tuesday. It's like the oddest vacation, if you want to call it that time span I've ever seen in my freaking life. And you know what's even worse? Wanna know what makes matters worse? A few days after we leave, opening day in baseball starts. Do you want to know what team plays in Dallas, Fort Worth area, Arlington area? The Texas Rangers. You want to know who the Texas Rangers play on their opening series of the season? Yes, you guessed it, the Chicago Cubs. My favorite baseball team. And knowing that I am a week away from potentially watching the Chicago Cubs play at the Texas Rangers brand new-ish stadium hurts my soul a little bit. So I don't even know if it's really worth it going down there anymore. What's the point? Ah, Logan, you could get your sister. You see your sister and her boyfriend. Uh, yeah, that's fine. But like, I, I want to go to a Cubs game. I haven't been to a Cubs game in years. Last Cubs game I went to was against the freaking Brewers. That's not fun. Screw the Brewers. Hate that team. I guess that's what makes it a little bit more fun. But that time in my life was really stressful. I just left William Penn, and that, that was not a very... Logan was not in a very good mental state at that point in time, so I don't... I, I look back at that time a little bit differently than I did, like, than I would have would liked to, because it wasn't a very good time. I enjoyed the game, but that game also took place when we reported back, or would have reported back to campus for football practice, for fall ball. So, yeah, Logan was not in the greatest state of mind here. Kaylin Clark just made a three-pointer. We got fouled. She's going to get four points, probably. She's got 14 points right now with three assists, 17 points right now with three assists. But, man, just a week away. Just a week away, and we are a week from, or a week past, I guess you could say, NFL Honors. And, boy, you know what really grinds my gears? NFL Honors was just a giant shite show. And I'm obviously biased. You know exactly why I'm saying it's a giant shite show, but I can back it up at least. And I would just like to call the segment Dumb, Dumber, and Dumbest. Okay? Dumb, Dumber, and Dumbest. We're going to start off with Dumb. We're going to start off with Dumb. And it's not the category that you're thinking right now, or not the thing that happened in NFL Honors that you're thinking of right now. At least I would assume so. 
The dumb is Josh Allen coming fifth in the MVP. I would go further along, but I think there's more things that can categorize as dumb and dumb it, dumber and dumbest than Josh Allen not winning MVP. Because I knew going in that Josh Allen was not going to win MVP. I knew it. I, I, we said this on the show. It didn't matter what my my like reasoning for why I thought Josh Allen should win MVP. The fact of the matter was, it was not happening. As much as I would have loved it to happen, the chance of it happening was next to zero. Was next to zero. Now, I did not think the chances of him not winning would result in him finishing freaking fifth. I don't even know how the hell that happened. Especially when he's the only person to receive a first place vote apart from Lamar Jackson because Brock Purdy stacked up 100 freaking points between fourth and fifth place votes. That's another thing we want to talk about when it comes to the dumb. This might be dumbest category. Lamar Jackson was one vote away from being unanimous MVP for the second time in his career. Unanimous MVP, really. We didn't know who the MVP was until week 16. At least the general audience. How can you have an MVP that you didn't even know was going to win MVP until week 16? How are you going to tell me that he was a unanimous option? We had so many different options throughout the entire course of the season. You cannot tell me definitively that there was one person that stood above the rest, especially when he only had 29 touchdowns. You cannot tell me that. That is so like in watching ESPN, I don't watch ESPN, but I saw clips of it on Twitter. Seeing them frustrated that Lamar didn't win MVP is insane. Like the amount of groupthink and brain rot that we have around these votes that we don't even know what they are anymore. Like, what is an MVP? What do you categorize as an MVP? Because I can tell you this: Lamar Jackson may be the most valuable player on his team, but hell, <laughs> they're the number one scoring defense in the league this year. They had top five defense in the league this year. They went to the playoffs last year with Tyler Huntley, who made a freaking Pro Bowl. And I'm not saying that Tyler Huntley is anywhere near the quarterback of Lamar Jackson. No, 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 no. Do not get it twisted at all. Do not get it twisted. But man, unanimous one vote. In his two MVP seasons, Lamar Jackson had received 50 votes and 49 votes. For This is first place votes. Again, there were arguments for Christian McCaffrey, who led the league in rushing every single week and led the league in rushing in a total yards by an extremely wide margin, one of two players in the NFL this season to have over 1,000 yards rushing and 400 yards received. The other one being James Cook, but Christian McCaffrey had 1,500 yards rushing. James Cook had about 1,100 yards rushing. I'm not comparing James Cook and Christian McCaffrey at all, so don't get that twisted either. Then you have Dak Prescott, led the league in passing touchdowns this year. Granted, he targeted CeeDee Lamb with 80% of his tar- throws this year, but still, and got beat down. His teams got beat down pretty bad in Buffalo and in San Francisco. Speaking of San Francisco, Chris McCaffrey's teammate, Brock Purdy, had himself a solid statistical year as well. You cannot sit here and tell me Lamar Jackson was unanimous MVP. I take issue to a certain extent with Lamar Jackson winning an MVP in reg- regardless because he all sees... What was it? The first MVP to finish outside the top 10 in passing yards and passing touchdowns. I understand Lamar Jackson's a dual threat quarterback, but he had a Tyrod Taylor-esque passing season, and this guy won a unit, damn near won a unanimous MVP. Like, what are we doing here? The amount of groupthink is insane. I watched Emmanuel Lacho, who has an MVP vote, by the way, for whatever reason, say Brock Purdy was better than Lamar Jackson, and he's one person that voted for Lamar Jackson. What are you talking about? Make up your gosh darn mind. This is ridiculous. 29 total touchdowns? 
I understand the Ravens with 13 and four this year. I understand it. But come on. He had two games where he turned the ball over, which resulted in his team losing the game. He had eight games where he had less than two touchdowns. Like, what are we doing here? And you can give me all the, well, he would have more rushing touchdowns in the game if he took the ball into the one-yard line. Even then, he'd have less touchdowns than Josh Allen. Josh Allen led the league in total yards and total touchdowns. But because people are, you know, only look at the pure number and don't look at his interceptions, at some of his interceptions, I know we're stupid. I'm not ignorant with that fact either. But some of those interceptions were basically punts. Like I said after the Dolphins lost the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs, I would much rather have Josh Allen launch the ball to the opposite 20-yard line and get it picked off than watch him try to check it down on 4th and 18. If you'd rather your quarterback do that, then you can go sign Tua. You can give him his monster-ass extension that he's apparently wanting this year. Good Lord. Again, Tyrod Taylor-esque passing numbers, and you're sitting here and telling me that he was deserved to be the unanimous MVP's fine. MVP's fine. Because, again, it's the MVP award is slowly turning into the starting quarterback for the best team in the NFL. Who just also happens to have a number one scoring defense by an extremely wide margin in the NFL. They give up like 16 points a game, which is ridiculous. Unanimous. Gosh darn unanimous MVP. And what was even funnier about the whole thing is that the guy that gave Josh Allen the MVP vote was the one who criticized him more than Bomani Jones when he got drafted. You can go look up this guy on Twitter, Aaron Schatz. Or Aaron Schultz, sorry. I used to watch him on NFL Network. He wrote an article about Josh Allen, why he deserves to win MVP. And he got lambasted being called a homer, and the dude's a Patriots fan. He's not even associated with the Bills. They were saying, oh, he's going to get worried about not getting invited back to the locker room. He's never been in the locker room. He's not only not a Bills fan, he's not a Bills reporter, and he's bashed Josh Allen more than anybody out there. But he's a homer. No, it's just because he doesn't share the same brainstem that everybody else in the stupid industry shares, I guess. It's ridiculous. And again, I'll say it for the hundredth time, I knew Josh Allen was going to win MVP. I can make as many reasons for why he should have or why he shouldn't have, but the fact of the matter is he wasn't. The fact he finished fifth is insane absolutely insane because the problem is you're going to have people that look at MVP votes, especially this year, the same people that look at Pro Bowl votes and say, that's why this player is better. Like you're really going to sit, there's going to be people that sit there and tell me that Brock Purdy's better than Josh Allen. Really? <laughs> They're going to sit there and tell me that. That's why part of me, I say part of me and we'll talk, I'm going to go over this in a little bit, but part of me was a little bit happy that the 49ers lost the Super Bowl. Obviously, I hate the Chiefs more than anything, but I was not ready for that conversation for people to say Brock Purdy is better than Josh Allen because he has a Super Bowl trophy. Not only that, all the quarterbacks who don't have a Super Bowl trophy, you can talk to some of these cultists because Burrow doesn't have a Super Bowl, Lamar doesn't have a Super Bowl, Herbert doesn't have a Super Bowl. He has the same number of Super Bowls as Aaron Rodgers. You couldn't talk to these people. I swear, this dude... (laughs) Man... This dude could take three breaths, and people think that's the craziest thing of all time. Like, it seems like on social media, there's no in-between with Brock Purdy at this point. Even though when there is an in-between, the people that are on the far end, like the way gone end, like there's no saving them, will say you're hating on him. When you're just being objective, when you just watch the game and go, wow, he's fine. 
you're going to sit here and tell me like they couldn't upgrade? Really? I mean, the people who say the same thing about Jimmy Garoppolo, who has two Super Bowl rings. Granted, he's on the Patriots with both of them as a backup quarterback, but that's not what we're doing here. Blaine Gabbard also has two Super Bowl rings <laughs> as a part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs. The most active Super Bowls in the NFL are Jimmy Garoppolo, Blaine Gabbard, and Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes obviously has three. But again, we'll get to that in a little bit. But the MVP voting was so insane this year. 49 votes for first place for Lamar Jackson. And Josh Allen came away with one. Purdy didn't get any. Christian McCaffrey didn't get any. Dak Prescott didn't get any. And the order ended up being Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Christian McCaffrey, brought Purdy, Josh Allen. That is insane. That's absolutely insane. The group, the amount of group think is in brain rot is absolutely insane. How could you? And the thing is, what's really funny is that Lamar. They say Lamar Jackson does so many other things that you can't quantify in a stat sheet. Well, no, because you can. Because literally everything a quarterback does is quantified on a stat sheet. Literally everything. They're the person with the ball in their hands every single play. Like you can make that argument for Miles Garrett winning Defensive Player of the Year. You can make that exact argument. Because it doesn't show you how many times, like you look at sack numbers, JJ Watt had, or TJ Watt, sorry, had 19 sacks, Miles Garrett had 14. But Miles Garrett gets double teamed so much more than TJ Watt does. Miles Garrett receives a lot more attention than TJ Watt does. Like those are things you can't quantify on a stat sheet unless you're looking at advanced analytics. Quarterbacks, you can to a certain extent, but even then, you look at Josh Allen's 18 interceptions this year. You're telling me all, like, one of them was on a Hail Mary at the end of a half. Another one off the top of my head was a drop by Gabe Davis against the Denver Broncos. This is two off the top of my head. Like, what, is he, what did he do this year? Because the problem I've also been seeing is that they're bringing it up with his other MVP season. No one's talking about the other MVP season, which was the second, second every unanimous MVP in history, which is one of the greatest seasons in NFL history. No one's talking about that. That has zero relevance to what's going on this year. What did he do this year? He had 29 touchdowns and 14 turnovers this year, 13 turnovers or whatever. This year, what did he do that led him to getting a damn near second unanimous MVP? Tell me. (laughs) I, I have been waiting. No one out there has told me why Lamar Jackson's the MVP. I haven't heard real reasons for why he's the MVP on any national network either. It's basically like we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's like, isn't it obvious? Well, no, it's not. Talk to me like I'm a three-year-old or something. Like, teach me why he's the MVP because I can't see it this year. I think Lamar Jackson's a great quarterback. But now we're sitting here with two MVPs with, what, a combined 99 out of 100 MVP votes? Really? Like, don't even try to compare Lamar Jackson's season this year to his MVP year, his real MVP year, where he was the most valuable player in the NFL. We didn't, again, we didn't know who the MVP was until about week 16. Like, I saw Jalen Hurts get brought up. I saw McCaffrey get brought up. I saw Purdy get brought up. Josh Allen get brought up. I saw Dak get brought up. Almost every player in the NFL this year got brought up. And yet, we were almost treated to our third ever unanimous MVP in NFL history. Unanimous means there was no doubt the entire season. No doubt. So how, <laughs> how did we 
not know he was the MVP until the second to last week of the regular season? How do we not know that? That he played, I should say. That he played, because he obviously didn't play the last game, but against the Niners. That was where everybody kind of started talking about him winning MVP. No one said it before then, but that led to him almost winning unanimous MVP. Group think. Same brainstem. It's all ridiculous. we got a human centipede sitting here with MVP voters. It's ridiculous. Again, I knew Josh Allen wasn't going to win, but fifth place and damn near unanimous is ridiculous, really. Like, I would have been fine if Lamar Jackson came away with, like, 35 votes or something, which is what I was about expecting. I didn't expect ever expect to see him with 49. <laughs> I did not expect that. Like, Lamar Jackson came fourth place in Offensive Player of the Year award, which I still don't understand that either. <laughs> that, I Like, we brought up before, like... It's like a pitch. It's a it's an MVP and a Cy Young in baseball. Pitchers can win MVPs, but only pitchers can win Cy Youngs. Like that's what we're thinking about right now in football. Like only quarterbacks now can win MVPs. Adrian Peterson and Ladanian Thomas were the last two MVPs that weren't quarterbacks, and those weren't necessarily close to each other either. Like it's it's and Chris McCaffrey, 39 first place votes. 39. That's about what I would think. Like 35, somewhere around there, 30 to 35 first place votes for Lamar. Like Chris McCaffrey, yeah. Run away at this point. When Ty- Tyreek Hill missed some time later in the year, yeah, it was obviously Christian McCaffrey. We knew it was obviously Christian McCaffrey was gonna win this award. That should have been unanimous. Offensive player of the year should have been unanimous in all reality. I don't know. That's that's just funny. Then MB, defensive player of the year, Miles Garrett, 23 first place votes. Yeah. TJ Watt, 19 first place votes. Then Michael Parsons, Max Crosby, and DeBron Bland. Max Crosby didn't get a first place vote. Uh, Offensive rookie of the year, CJ Stroud. Yeah. Damn near unanimous. Two votes. Fair. It's a quarterback situation. Same thing. If there's a rookie receiver or rookie running back that play really well, there better not be a quarterback that's played really well. Otherwise, you're not going to win it. Look at last year. Look at last year. Like, Brock Purdy made a late-season charge for Offensive Rookie of the Year, but it was too late. Like, it was his first start, week 13 or something like that. So, obviously, Garrett Wilson, the, Ohio State, the other Ohio State receiver, Chris Olave, had a nice knee up on everybody else at that point. But, if like... You're not going to win it if you're not a quarterback. So the quarterback better be – like, look at Justin Jefferson. He had an insane rookie year. Justin Herbert had an insane rookie year as well, and it went to the quarterback. And there's a tie. It's like, again, bring it back to baseball. Tie goes the runner. Tie goes the quarterback every single time. <laughs> and C.J. Stroud almost won unanimous. And it's funny because only C.J. Stroud and Puka Nakua received first and second place votes, which makes sense. <laughs> Sam Laporta came third, though. He had 43rd place votes. Followed by Jameer Gibbs and then B. John Robinson, defense rookie of the year. Will Anderson. Yeah, th- that Will Anderson is kind of the obvious one, but even then, like Jalen Carter had a say in it. Kobe Turner from the Rams had a say in it. Devin Witherspoon had a good year. Joey Porter, I think, was definitive last place, but cause some could have even said like Brian Branch should have been in there from the Detroit Lions. Get another Detroit Lion rookie in there. Um, and then the big one here. Uh well, well, okay, yeah. No, we'll get well into that that one. You know exactly which one I'm talking about, too. <laughs> Uh, Coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski won. I mean, D'Amico Ryan should have won. Kevin Stefanski had one more vote, which I think is kind of funny. Like, all these awards that went to Cleveland Browns players just get absolutely slaughtered in the first round of the, play- <laughs> the playoffs. 
but Kevin Spansky had one more first place vote than uh, Domingo Ryan's. Had the same exact number of points. But Domingo Ryan's, again, took a team that was expected to have a top two pick in the draft next year, but not their own pick, obviously going to the Cardinals. And not only won their division, but won a playoff game with the defense absolutely dominating. With the offensive rookie of the year and the defensive rookie of the year. Like, D'Amico Ryan should have won coach of the year. Kevin Spansky, I understand, but like Dan Campbell's up there as well, but the Lions were expected to be a better team this year. The Browns were expected to be somewhat of a playoff team. If anything, this is Kevin Spansky finally <laughs> getting to that point because if he didn't have a season like this, regardless of the quarterback injuries, he would have probably been canned. Injuries, injury, and then the benches. But regardless, and Shanahan, John Harbaugh were up there as well. Um, assistant coach of the year was Jim Schwartz, another Cleveland Browns guy, followed by Mike McDonald, Ben Johnson, Bobby Slowick and Todd Monken, and then uh, Cameron Hayward won once with Walter Payton Man of the Year. And then the Dumber, we did finally get to the Dumber portion, uh, Comeback Player of the Year. Joe Flacco won with 13 first-place votes. Can someone explain this again? How, can somebody explain this to me like I'm a toddler? How do you have eight less first-place votes <laughs> and win? How does that make any sense? Regardless of the fact that Joe Flacco didn't come back from anything. Like, look at all the other quarterbacks on there. They came back from something. Baker Mayfield, when he got when he went to Tampa, well, actually, let's start up before Tampa. When he was with the Browns, got sent to Carolina, got cut from Carolina, went to the Rams, then left there and went down to Tampa to place Tom Brady. You want to know what expectations were for Baker Mayfield this season? Nothing. The Bucs were being one of the worst teams in football because they couldn't decide between Kyle Trask and Baker Mayfield. The Bucs are replacing Tom Brady with Baker Mayfield and or Kyle Trask. And Baker Mayfield had a very good year. Better than Joe Flacco with 13 touchdowns and 8 picks in 5 games. Matthew Stafford had a spinal contusion. Put himself back in the conversation of a top 10 quarterback in the NFL this year with a relatively young squad. Puka Nakua, rookie receiver, broke a bunch of records this year with Matthew Stafford at quarterback. They were not supposed to be a playoff team in reality, and that's what they ended up being. And then Tua, like we saw this dude throwing up gang signs when he was knocked down unconscious on the field in Cincinnati. He didn't even play the last four or five games of the year. He came back, led the league in passing yards. Joe Flacco didn't do anything. Joe Flacco was a backup in New York with the Jets and was a backup with the Browns and then got the job and then played all right. He played five freaking games. Not to mention the two pick sixes on back-to-back drives in the playoffs. Oh, I, I must have forgot. Damar Hamlin, you remember him? The guy that died on the football field? Yeah. Uh, I have never seen anybody come back from that in my life. I can think of two people in history that have done that. <laughs> and one of them is Damar Hamlin. Like, what are we doing here? Seriously. Joe Flacco had 13 first-place votes. He had three more first-place votes than Baker Mayfield and eight less than DeMar Hamlin. Joe Flacco himself even said he wouldn't vote for himself for a comeback player of the year because he didn't come back from anything. He didn't do shit. The Browns have one of the best defenses in football. They had the coach of the year and the defensive, the special, uh, what do you call it? Assistant coach of the year. Defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz. And the defensive player of the year, Miles Garrett. The defense was locked down. All he needed to do was not suck complete ass, and the Browns were probably going to make the playoffs. That's what happened. 
He played good enough to get the Browns to the playoffs. And then guess what? Shit the bed against the Texans with a rookie quarterback, rookie coach, and a rookie DN. Two pick sixes on back-to-back drives. And that's enough to constitute comeback player of the year. Like, what the hell are we doing? What is... That, that, that makes no sense. It's actually one of the dumbest results I've ever seen for an award. In my life. And let's not forget, let's read the teams out that Joe Flacco was quote-unquote elite against. The Rams, Jaguars, Bears, Texans, and Jets. And he lost the only playoff team that he faced in there. He threw an interception in every single game he played. (laughs) Against the Bears, vaunting secondary, apart from Jalen Johnson. He threw three picks. He threw three picks. And I'm not even including the playoffs where he threw two interceptions. So in total this year, if we want to include the playoffs, he threw 14 touchdowns and 10 picks in six games. That is damn impressive right there. You know what? That's deserving a comeback player of the year. One, you didn't come back from anything. Two, you were good, I guess. Is that good? Is 13 touchdowns, eight picks good? And against those teams, there's one playoff team, (laughs) two playoff teams in there. And they lost to them. Lost to two of them. Lost to the Rams and the Texans. Texans wouldn't actually matter. But hey, he threw for 300 yards four times against the Jaguars, Bears, Texans, and Jets defenses. Congratulations, man. Good Lord. He threw the ball freaking 40 times. <laughs> he threw the ball. I didn't even know this. He threw the ball over 40 times in four, five of those six games. We're including the playoffs there. The only game he didn't was against the Jets. So, yeah, I would hope he threw for a shit ton of yards. He threw the ball 44, 45, 44, 42, and 46 times. He had a 60% completion percentage. And for those of you who want to say DeMar Hamlin didn't do anything, good thing it's not a performance-based award. That's a most improved player. That's, he, didn't, he literally died and then played the next season. That's literally it. He didn't need to do anything. He could have walked out the first play of the game against the New York Jets, gave a thumbs up, retired right there after he played one play, and that would have been enough to get comeback player of the year. He literally died on the field and came back. Like, you could sit here and go like, well, Logan, Geno Smith won comeback player of the year last year. What did he come back from? Well, there wasn't a guy that died last year. There's completely different parameters here. You can't compare each individual year because Tom Brady's unanimous MVP season is not even his best MVP season. And Geno Smith came back from way more than Joe Flacco. The only thing Geno Smith was known for before he started last year was getting punched in the face by a IK, I don't know how to say his name, he was on the Bills. Rex Ryan brought him as a freaking captain for the Bills when they played the Jets that year when they played Geno. And then breaking Eli Manning's <laughs> consecutive start streak against the Raiders. Those are the only two things Geno Smith was known for before he got a job with the with the Seahawks, when Russell Wilson left. Geno Smith did come back from something. But even then, there wasn't a person that died on the field. And even then, Joe Flacco is the last person, I said this when Brady was on, the last person that should have won this award, won the award. Tua and Stafford both came back from actual things and they came up with less votes than Joe Flacco. By a lot, too. 21 first-place votes for DeMar Hamlin to 13 for Joe Flacco, and DeMar Hamlin lost. 
Explain to me how that makes sense. Explain to me how that makes sense. What is up with this voting thing too? What does that even mean? I don't want to hear anything Jamar Hamlin didn't play this year. He did. So that's all that matters. Because again, it's not a performance award. Eight more first place votes. That's insane. (laughs) I don't care if he played 17 defensive snaps this year. I don't give a rat's ass. I don't give a rat's ass how many snaps he played. Again, he could have played one. Because I can think of numerous players that have come back from nothing and played okay the following season. I can't think of a single one that died and played the next year. I can't. I really can't. I mean, Alex Smith, he got unanimous, basically unanimous comeback player of the year awards after he snapped his leg. Why was that unanimous? He didn't play amazing. Because it's not a performance award. That's why. But then ultimately, the dumbest thing that probably took place on NFL Honors was the Hall of Fame voting. Now, I don't have a general issue with who got inducted this year. I have a more of an issue on who wasn't inducted this year. Antonio Gates. On the Mount Rushmore of tight ends, depending on who you ask. Because I obviously got the three locks. You got Gronk, Kelsey, and Tony Gonzalez. Those are the three locks. Fourth place, you got like Gates, you got Kellen Winslow Sr., you've got Mike Ditka, you've got, uh, help me out here, Shannon Sharp is another one. You've got, is there anybody I'm really forgetting here? Um, Jason Witten popped my head, but he's not, no, don't even bring him up. Good tight end, I don't want to take anything away from him, but not Mount Rushmore. But Gates, really, the all-time leader in tight end touchdowns in NFL history with 116, despite having like 400 less catches than Tony Gonzalez, is not in top 30 all-time in receiving yards by just any player, not just tight ends, top 30 in receiving yards. Like Terrell Owens, when he didn't get inducted first ballot Hall of Fame, that was a sham in its own right. But that was because we got petty-ass NFL writers that are voting people in because they might have not liked the way Terrell Owens conducted himself when he did the workout in the driveway or when he did the star thing or he did the popcorn or he signed a football. They didn't like those kind of things that he did. Forgetting the fact that he's one of the greatest receivers of all time, top three receiver in NFL history, no, he's not a unanimous Hall of Famer or first ballot Hall of Famer, I should say, because of the fact we didn't like some of those antics. He's my quarterback. Yeah, I'm not. So I'm hoping the same thing is said when Travis Kelsey gets inducted or doesn't because of the the Kadarius Tony was offsides. I hope that doesn't. I hope people remember that because that should affect his Hall of Fame legacy. Now, obviously, jokes aside, Antonio Gates is again how Gates doesn't have any of those issues. Gates wasn't a big talker. Gates wasn't a big look at me kind of guy until Mahomes, Kelsey, and even before Brady and uh, Brady and uh, Gronk. Him and Phillip Rivers have the all-time connection between quarterback and receiver. Or did. And it's Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison were up there too. Like, sit down with me and just tell me how Antonio Gates was in first ballot Hall of Famer. It, you, what? How? I understand Devin Hester. I mean, if we're comparing players, it's not close who's the better player. Because they tried to make Devin Hester a receiver and he sucked ass at it. I'm not saying Devin Hester doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. He definitely does. Because he's the greatest returner of all time. 
But good Lord. We're talking about players. It's not even a conversation here. If we're being 100% serious here, nostalgia is not playing a factor. Because I understand, like Devin Hester returned the opening kick of the Super Bowl. He obviously broke the punt return record when he played for the Falcons. Deion Sanders commenting on the game. Like, I understand that. I know we had 100 speed in Madden. That was really cool. But player-wise, it's not, it's not really close. That's fine, because I, I, again, I understand why Devin Hester's in. I completely understand. I'm completely fine with it. But there's not a set limit on people you can induct in the Hall of Fame. So why is this year we are limiting it to a guaranteed, what everybody thought in the NFL world thought was a guaranteed first ballot Hall of Famer? Again, a guy who sits atop the, or one of the tight ends of the NFL's tight end Mount Rushmore, because Tony Gonzalez first ballot Hall of Famer. Gronk will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Travis Kelsey will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. So Antonio Gates should be <laughs> first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's not. Did Shannon Sharp have something to do with this? I know Shannon Sharp doesn't like Antonio Gates. Him and Antonio Gates have sparred back and forth before with words. So I, I would imagine Shannon Sharp had something to do with it, but I have no proof of that. So I can't, I can't sit here and just state that as fact. But the NFL honors, again, was a complete sham. Complete and utter sham. And the group think behind everything just pissed me off. Like, how did Joe Flacco win comeback play of the year? How is Antonio Gates not in the Hall of Fame right now? How is Josh Allen finishing fifth? And how is Lamar Jackson one vote away from being a unanimous MVP? How did all of that happen? How did all of that happen on NFL Honors? Complete and utter sham. Everything's just, right now, is just so... We have to have definitions for what these awards are. And we do, but people seem to ignore them and to start to put on their own definitions for certain things. Because no one can definitively tell me what an MVP is right now. Everybody will have their own differing opinion about MVP. I would say, you know, how are, how much are you responsible for your team's points? I think definitely has something to do with that, like percentage-wise. I think that definitely has something to do with that. The amount of records you broke throughout the regular season definitely, I think, has something to do with that. Because, I mean, you can look at individual seasons, but, like, if you're breaking records during said season, I think you deserve a little bit more votes than what you got. If you won consecutive titles in a row, then that should be something to look at as well. But just keep keep on dominating as a team. But no, I guess that doesn't matter because one team had the number one scoring defense and the other guy had 29 touchdowns. I mean, that's... It's pretty cool stuff. It's pretty, it's pretty impressive stuff. Been the NFL record for rushing and passing touchdowns in consecutive games. Ban the NFL rushing record for quarterbacks for touchdowns. Ban leading the league in touchdowns, total touchdowns and yards, and not in interceptions or turnovers like the national media would like you to think he did. But um, yeah, that is that's not important. I guess I guess that stuff's not important. And Joe Flacco throwing it five hundred times in five games. You know, I expect, like I've said a thousand times on the show, if you throw the ball more than 35 times, you better have 300 yards pass. <laughs> if you don't, there's some wrong with you. God forbid you're throwing 42 to 46 times a game. Minus one against the Jets, we threw 29 times. Goodness gracious. Craziness. Absolute craziness. But that's not important anymore because the NFL honors already happened and it's done. And I'm, I've, 
I was frustrated at the time, but again, I, I wasn't surprised by the MVP. I was shocked by – I didn't think the comeback player of the year would actually happen. I just think it's funny how how you have eight more first-place votes that come second. I don't know how that happens. I, don't, I know how it happens. I think it's stupid how it happens. But, man, like, there's no points for coming in second Real in reality. You only get real points for coming in first, unless your name's Josh Allen, Demar Hamlin. Then you come fifth and second. Then it doesn't really matter. <laughs> the, the first place doesn't really matter. But uh, yeah, obviously. And what's funny about it, I think I do think Josh Allen's continued dismissal of NFL awards and NFL competitions is starting to affect him in some capacity because he's turned down the Pro Bowl the last four years, three or four years. And he went to do a barstool quiz instead of go to NFL honors. I'm pretty sure that doesn't help him with the eyes of the NFL beat writers, who, as we've learned with Emmanuel Acho having a vote, don't necessarily have the most brain cells at everybody out there. This is a guy who said Brock Purdy was better the day before, or the Friday before the 49ers and Ravens played, and then tweeted out during the 49ers Ravens game that we need to have a conversation about Brock Purdy. The dude has no idea what he's talking about 100% of the time. It's not even 99%. It's 100% of the time. But, man. You know, I'd speak for yourself, his show. He got, obviously got Shady McCoy. Two-time Super Bowl champion, Shady McCoy. But um, one of those Super Bowl championships with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, he didn't really do a lot in that Super Bowl championship, but he did get a second ring, which is really hilarious to think about, that he got two rings doing absolutely nothing with the Bucks and the Chiefs. Like Blaine Gabbert. Him and Blaine Gabbert are one of the same. <laughs> one of the one of the same. But man, that Super Bowl, I I'm gonna be hundred percent honest here. I was not as upset this year as I was last year. Last year I was livid. I recorded a show right after I got back to my apartment. That holding call at the end of the game was one of the most BS touchy feely holdy calls. I, I shouldn't say BS. It was one of the softest holding calls. I have seen, especially in that moment in the game. You haven't called it the entire game. So why call it there? It's not if if you called it consistently throughout the game, then that's fine. That's one thing. If you never called that and you call it in that moment, that is a sham. That's, That's the word of the day, isn't it? Sham, which is consistent here. But this year, I can't really say anything that's like, Ugh, the Chiefs won again. No, I just kind of sat down and was like, ah, well, that happened. Like, I'm never going to sit down and stink before a game. Like, like I did Cole and company on Friday, the Friday before the Super Bowl. And Cole, host, you can listen to that every single day from uh, 5 to 6 on 1650 The Fan. I would very much recommend you go listen to a show. Very good show. But he asked me my Super Bowl prediction. And though I thought the Chiefs would win, you know what I can't do? I can never say the Chiefs are going to win a Super Bowl. I will never say the Patriots are going to win a Super Bowl. I will never say the Dolphins are going to win a Super Bowl. The Jets, I don't care. I will never say they're going to win a Super Bowl. It doesn't matter how much I think and believe they're going to win a Super Bowl. I will never say they're going to win a Super Bowl. So I couldn't do it. That's how my dad raised me, and I'm not, I ain't no bitch. So I, <laughs> I ain't doing it. I'm standing on moral. I'm standing 10 toes down. I'm saying, screw the Chiefs. We're going for the Niners. Though in the back of my head, I'm saying, Logan, you know the Chiefs are going to win, right? You know they're going to win. You know they're great. Like the Chiefs' three Super Bowl championships. You know how many times I've said <laughs> the Chiefs are going to win? Zero. Because hate that stupid team. I hate that team. So you know what? Good on the Niners for at least trying. But this game was odd because unlike last year, I can't pinpoint a time 
in the game that, unless like we played forgetting about it, like that actually helped the Chiefs out. If anything, I'm sitting back like the Chiefs almost got screwed in the Super Bowl. The intentional grounding call that got called on Patrick Mahomes, good lord. Like I, the, so for those of you who are unaware, intentional grounding is where you throw the ball away and there's no receiver in the area. Or, and that's if you're in the pocket. If you're outside the pocket and there's no receiver in the area, you've got to get it past the line of scrimmage. If you don't, that's intentional grounding. That's why my favorite penalty in football is the intentional grounding that's thrown right in the middle of the freaking field. Jalen Hurts got called for that earlier this year. But the problem is, instead of the ball didn't get past the line of scrimmage, Mahomes outside the pocket, and I'm pretty sure it's Noah Gray, was about five feet away from him. Like I, From me to my fridge, it's a little bit more than five feet, about eight feet away is the receiver. Like, he's there. He's the intended target. That's who Mahomes is trying to get the ball to, at least in his general vicinity. That's not intentional grounding by any layer of the law. And I thought they were going to pick up the flag because they started talking about it right before he started saying intentional grounding. But then he actually called in the end. The second time I could think of was the horse collar penalty on Brock Purdy. Because, one, (laughs) the name of the penalty is horse collar tackle. That's the penalty title. There's two things that are wrong with this. One, he didn't grab his shoulder pads because a horse collar, you got to grab in the shoulder pads. You can't just grab the jersey. It's not a horse collar. Number two, he didn't tackle him. So not only did he grab the not grab the horse collar, he also didn't tackle Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy ran out of bounds. <laughs> Standing upright. He never was down on the ground. He never was flat on his back. He never did anything like that. No, he was standing out of bounds and got a horse collar flag thrown on him. On the Chiefs. Not on Brock Purdy, on the Chiefs. And there were a few spot foul or spot calls for the Chiefs that didn't go their way either. You can look at later in the game in the fourth quarter. Travis Kelsey looked like he got a clear first down, and they ruled him second and one. And then Mahomes got a three-yard rush to pick up a first. Like, and they did the same thing in the AFC Championship game against the Ravens, too. They had, they, the, the divisional round game against the Niners and Packers, they had some BS spot calls in all those games. Conveniently, against the team that played the, <laughs> the Niners. So were the Niners the team that were supposed to win the Super Bowl before the script? Like, I can't sit here and like bitch and moan about the Chiefs getting away with something because they didn't. Like all the holding calls I'm seeing on Twitter, Nick Bosa literally just stops. That's not holding. Again, that's <laughs> and they didn't call it the entire game. Did they call a single holding the entire game? Did they? Because I can't remember a single one on either team. Like, those are the the two penalties I remember in the spot call in the fourth quarter. And then you obviously got Travis Kelsey ramming into (laughs) Andy Reid, which is one of the dumbest things I've seen. But they're both adults, competitive. Travis Kelsey wasn't in when Pacheco fumbled the ball, which I think if you want to use that in your argument to decide who the greatest tight end of all time is, that's perfectly okay with me. Because you know who wouldn't have been out on a run play? Rob Gronkowski. So that's why in a lot of different facets of being a tight end that drive Gronk will probably always be number one because Kelsey, like as receivers, they're about the same. In reality, they're about the same. I mean, Gronkowski holds the NFL record for tight ends for receiving touchdowns of the season with 17. Travis Kelsey will never touch that record. Never will. So they're close in that. You can maybe give the edge to Kelsey. You can't, they're not even comparable when it comes to run blocking. So you can't sit here and go, Kelsey's better than Gronk because X, Y, Z. Well, you could go like, well, receiving maybe, 
Run blocking, no. Like whichever side's whichever side's more definitive, that's who you're whoever's got one edge on the other, that's the definitive answer there. So I would go, it's not saying anything against Travis Kelsey, though I don't think he's a first battle Hall of Famer. <laughs> it's just that I think Gronk is was just dominant for his time. Gronk just his body failed. The Gronk's body fell apart. Like look at the giant elbow brace he wore. <laughs> That dude was getting held together by duct tape. Like, that guy was barely there. And he was the most physical person on the football field every single time. And I don't like Rob Gronkowski at all. He tried to pile drive Trey White's head to the ground. I was at that game in Buffalo. I don't necessarily like Rob Gronkowski. If anything, I like Travis Kelsey more than Rob Gronkowski. But man, I mean, they both like themselves an alcoholic beverage, I'll tell you that. Kelsey was smashed at the 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 parade. I don't know if anybody saw that. Travis Kelsey was on another planet during the parade. When he got up there to talk, good Lord. I don't know how his liver saved it. I don't know how he's alive right now because good Lord. But the game itself, it wasn't like it lived up to the expectations where <laughs> no one was really excited for it. There wasn't really... A ton, it wasn't boring. I won't say it was boring. It wasn't like the Rams-Patriots Super Bowl was, what, 13-3? It wasn't that Super Bowl, 10-3, whatever the final score was that one, where Edelman won an MVP. Like, I, it wasn't that, but it wasn't exciting either. I do feel kind of bad for Steve Wilkes for getting fired after that. I mean, he held the Chiefs to 19 points in regulation. Like, how? Like you can't really do anything else better than that. And the Chiefs' defense played really well, too. These two defenses just played lights out, and Drake Greenlaw snatched his Achilles in one of the craziest injuries I think I've seen in a long time, maybe ever. Like, losing your second-best linebacker, one of your best defenders, to an Achilles injury when he's running on the field is insane, especially with how well he was playing up to that point in the game. And speaking of insane things, how did the 49ers not know the overtime rules? How do they not know? The Chiefs started the overtime rules. Because remember, they bitched and moaned after the Patriots loss when um, D. Ford lined up offsides. Like everyone who wants to throw it on the Buffalo Bills, the Bills never mentioned the award, the the penalty. They weren't even ones that tried to push it forward. The Bills were one of the few teams that didn't even vote for it to change the overtime rules. The Chiefs bitched and moaned the entire offseason. They changed it the following year with like the Titans, Rams, Colts, like... Not even the Bills were involved in that, but everybody associates that with the Bills. But even then, how do you not know? How are you that underprepared? Like, out of all the things Kyle Shanahan did, apart from not run the ball with Christian McCaffrey anymore, or have any of his best options open, or throwing the ball, or Purdy just not throwing them the ball, like, Ayuk had, like, three catches, Kittle had about two catches, Debo did nothing. Like, Jawan Jennings had a passing touchdown in the game. He was probably going to win Super Bowl MVP had the 49ers actually won the game. He had a receiving and passing touchdown. The only person to ever do that in Super Bowl history is Nick Foles. And he's going to be the second one to do that ever. And a Super Bowl victory for one of the most historic franchises in the NFL, in the NFL, in NFL history. But how do you not know? And then the logic after the, after the fact Shanahan said, which is complete BS. If you believe this, I'm sorry. Kyle Shanahan said they were going to get the ball third. And the Chiefs' mindset was, if they score, we're going to go down and score and then go for two. Why would your mindset be, we're going to take the ball and hope 
that we can not only score a touchdown but stop the other team so we can get the ball a third time and then end the game. That is the dumbest logic I think I've ever heard for overtime. Like, you could see the surprise on Mahomes' face when Fred Warner says they want the ball. Why would you want the ball first? (laughs) With these new rules, makes no sense. Absolutely no sense, especially when the Chiefs are going to go for two anyways. If they got the ball second. Like, that. how are you that underprepared? And this is Kyle Shanahan's third Super Bowl loss as an OC or head coach. And the 49ers, their resume compared to the Dallas Cowboys is kind of funny, and I've never actually looked at it like this before. But I took a screenshot of it today. Um, the 49ers' last Super Bowl win was 1995. The Cowboys' last Super Bowl win was 1996. The The mindset for each set is completely different because the Cowboys, like, they they're made this graphic. It was like, this, for the Cowboys, this is our year, choke every time. Dak is such a trash bag, worst fan base in the NFL. Next, in the 49ers next year, they got it. They're so close every year. The coach keeps falling apart. Passionate, loyal fans. The problem is, is that bottom line. Cowboys fans are famously the worst fans in the NFL. To a large majority of people. Like, I've never had a necessarily terrible or bad experience with the Cowboys. Like The only time I've been down to Dallas to watch a game, they pumped in fake crowd noise, which I just think is kind of corny, but it had nothing really to do with it. Like, I wanted to see them against the Vikings. I didn't really have any general issues there. They were just out noise of the, the Vikings fans. They had to play a song to drown out the Cowboys fans. But I've always had problems with the Vikings stadium anyways, but that's another story. But the Cowboys are just so out there. The 49ers are never really, seemingly, at least I feel, out there too often. I feel like the Cowboys every year, doesn't matter how good or bad they are, they're going to win the Super Bowl because Jerry Jones is always out there. I don't remember seeing York come out and just start talking randomly. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. The Cowboys are a bigger brand. They're probably the biggest brand in football. But, man, I never really thought about it. The 49ers have lost three Super Bowls this century <laughs> and haven't won any. Like, the Patriots have lost three as well, but they also won six. <laughs> so that's a little bit different. The 49ers have lost three and not won any and have had pretty heartbreaking losses, all three of them. You obviously got the game against the Ravens where the lights went out in the Superdome. And then you got the, set, the first Super Bowl against the Chiefs where Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't have hit Emmanuel Sooners in the middle of the field. Probably losing them the game. Would have helped them at least. And then you got this one where you lose in overtime because they didn't know the overtime rules. It's just really funny stuff. I don't, I don't know how that happens. I never thought about the Niners losing three Super Bowls this, de- this century. But, man, really makes you think. Really makes you think. And they've had three different quarterbacks in every single Super Bowl. So, yeah, like Joe Gibbs won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. <laughs> the 49ers have lost three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> if first you don't see, try, try again. And then those don't succeed, then I don't know what to tell you at this point. Because Purdy didn't really play that great. I don't think he played bad, but there there are some people that, like, on social media, they're just like, everything this guy does is, like, the second coming of Jesus Christ or something like that. It's insane. Like, I, I challenge you, when the 49ers are playing on a primetime game, it has to be primetime game, to go on Twitter and search Brock Purdy. The discourse is insane because you could go, yeah, I don't really think Brock Purdy is the most insane quarterback of all time. You've got people on social media ready to go and kill you because you said he might, he might (laughs) be worse than Patrick Mahomes. I don't know. 
I don't know. He might be. He might be. I don't know. I don't know. But people are with their pitchforks and knives ready to kill you and burn you at the stake if you do not tell them that their Lord and Savior, Brock Purdy, which is an insane person to have as your Lord and Savior. <laughs> if you're watching him in college, it's so funny to see what's, what the discourse around him is right now. But it's it's just really funny. Last pick in the draft, and then now we're sitting here talking about he was one game away. <laughs> He's one. So if the if we keep going on this trajectory, we've got Brock Purdy losing the NFC Championship game. Brock Purdy losing the wins the NFC Championship game the next year, then losing the Super Bowl. So next year he'll win the NFC Championship game and win the Super Bowl, and then next year he has to not make the playoffs to restart the trend. That's what we're going for here. So first year lose NFC Championship game. Second year win NFC Championship game. Lose Super Bowl. Third year, win NFC Championship game, win Super Bowl. Fourth year, not make the playoffs. Year after, make the playoffs, lose first round. Year after that, win first round, lose second round. Next year after that, win first round, win second round, lose third round. Go back again, finally win, then lose Super Bowl. Then you need to start over again. Like It's a cycle. It's a vicious cycle here, but that's the life he's chose to live this way. <laughs> but it's more the story. It's more the story. He's the last pick in the draft. He's the last pick in the draft. Which most times, like when you're drafted that late, it's better to be undrafted at that point. It really is. It's really better to be undrafted because you get to choose where you go. Like look at the likes of um, Tony Romo. Looks the likes of Drew Bledsoe, Drew Bledsoe first overall bit. Kurt Warner. I don't know why Drew Bledsoe was the quarterback came up in my mind. But look at guys like that. Like Tony Romo literally decided between the Cowboys and Broncos where he wanted to go. And Drew Bledsoe was with him in Dallas. So I'm assuming that's how my brain was working there. At least that's what I'm going to claim. Like, you got to choose. Because Brock Purdy, if he had to choose a spot, I don't necessarily think... I could be wrong, because maybe he loves the competition. Maybe he does. There's a lot of crazy people out there. I don't think a lot of people would have said, if they went undrafted, I'm going to sign with the 49ers with a team that drafted a quarterback third overall the season before and traded up heaven and earth to get him and has a guy under contract that has started average about eight games a year since he got to San Francisco. That's not accurate, but, you know, it's whatever. I don't think a lot of people would have chosen that fate, <laughs> but here we are. Now, I don't necessarily know if I buy the whole, I always knew Brock Purdy was our best quarterback line from Shanahan. I don't know if I necessarily believe that, but, hey, I can't disprove it either. Can't really disprove it, but I don't I don't know if it's true or not. I don't. But, again, that's the kind of quarterback Kyle Shanahan wanted. That's why he wanted Mac Jones. We said that a thousand times. This is why he wanted Mac Jones. And the problem is now when you bring up Mac Jones – in this conversation, people look at Mac Jones from what we've seen of him in the NFL with Bill O'Brien, uh, <laughs> Matt, uh, Matt Canada, uh, not Matt Canada, he was the Steelers, uh, Matt Patricia, and Joe Judge, offensive coordinators like that. You can't judge him off that. <laughs> That's not fair. Look at what he did at Alabama. Mac Jones was a much better prospect than Brock Purdy, obviously. That's why he was a top fifteen pick in the draft. But he got drafted in a situation where he had no offensive coordinator and no weapons. Can you tell me who his number one receiver was when he was with the Patriots? Is it Juju? Is it Kendrick Bourne? Like, who are we? Hunter Henry? Jujanu Smith? Like, what are we? Who are his number one guys here? With an offensive coordinator consisted of tag team duo of Matt Patricia, who's a defensive coordinator, and Joe Judge, who's a special teams coach. That's your offensive coordinators. So you can't judge him off that. That is completely un- I, This is me defending Matt Jones, the Patriots guy. You cannot judge. That is not fair at all. And I think Mac Jones has been really bad this year, but there's been a lot of negative things going towards him 
in this category. If he played for the 49ers, do I think he'd be this bad? No, he'd be where Brock Purdy is right now because the quarterback Kyle Shanahan wants. But, like everybody likes to think when the draft rolls around, what quarterback or what position, like, they had Garoppolo. Would Mac Jones, where he is, like his skill level, would he be an upgrade on Garoppolo if you looked like five years in the future? Who knows? Because their skill, their their styles are fairly similar. Fairly. Trey Lance is more athletic than Jimmy Garoppolo. He's bigger than Jimmy Garoppolo. He's got a stronger arm than Jimmy Garoppolo. So all those factors play into them going, John Lynch convincing Kyle Shanahan to say, hey, let's take Trey Lance instead of Mac Jones, the guy you want that fits your system more. We can think we can expand this offense if we go Trey Lance. Trey Lance obviously snaps his ankle. Never gets the job back, goes down to Dallas, which I'm intrigued to see where he goes this offseason. I'm sure some team out there, you know, may, hey, maybe the commanders make a move for Trey Lance. Their GM was with San Francisco when they drafted him. I don't know if they'd have to trade for him. I don't know what his contract situation looks like in Dallas. I just thought of this right now. What if Trey Lance goes to Washington? That would be insane. That would be absolutely insane. Him and Cliff Kingsbury would be pretty fun to watch. It would be. But right now, it looks like they're going to draft a quarterback. Now, will it be Caleb Williams? I don't know. It depends on what they're willing to give up, which from reports, they suggest that (laughs) the Bears will be looking for an astronomical price, which to move up one spot is going to be a tough bargain to ask for if you're the commanders. Even if you've got Caleb Williams quarterback coach for one year (laughs) at, at your team as the OC. That's a lot. Like, I think Caleb Williams is probably, at this point in time, looking at all of his college career combined, the best quarterback in this draft. I don't think – I wouldn't put the generational stuff on him. I never have, so I'm not going to put throw that on him. But would that fit Cliff Kingsbury? Of course. He's played – he's coached him before. The Cardinals obviously signed him to be their new head coach to draft Kyle Murley because he played with him in college or got recruited by him in, well, out of high school. So there's obviously connections there. Cliff Kingsbury has a fairly solid relationship, it seems like, with a lot of players out there. Obviously, Coach Patrick Mahomes, Caleb Williams gets compared to Patrick Mahomes quite a bit. I don't think they're necessarily insanely similar, but, you know, they do have some similarities. Like, they both like to move around the pocket. They're not really looking to run, but when they do run, they're effective. They both got very good arms. Mahomes obviously has one of the best arms in league history, so that's a little different. But Caleb Williams has a very good arm as well. I think Caleb Williams, the thing he needs to work on is trusting the people around him a little bit more, which I know is easier said than done when you're a quarterback that's immensely talented like Caleb Williams on a team that's underachieving by a lot of metrics out there with the defense giving up 40 points a game for the latter latter parts of the season. Like, it's hard to sit back and go like, yeah, I trust everybody here when the defense just wasn't doing that the season before. They were ass this year, like so much more ass than I expected. I thought the defense would be able to hold their own to a certain extent. But no, that is it couldn't have been further from the truth. That defense was so bad this year. But Caleb Williams will go number one overall. It's just a matter of to who. And right now, it looks like it's going to be to the Chicago Bears. That's what it seems like. And Justin Fields getting linked currently to the Pittsburgh Steelers, which I think makes sense for him. Mike Tomlin apparently loves Justin Fields. But I've also seen reports that the Steelers are going to add a veteran quarterback to kind of partner Kenny Pickett or challenge Kenny Pickett, maybe take his job. And I think someone that fits that mold is Ryan Tannehill. 
I mean, Ryan Tannehill played for Arthur Smith in Tennessee when he was the office coordinator down there. Arthur Smith's now the OC up in Pittsburgh. So you're either getting <laughs> – wow, get ready, Steelers fans. You're in for an exciting offseason. Your category is either you're getting Justin Fields, who is a top – I mean, Ryan Tannehill was a top 10 pick, but young quarterback, athletic, good arm, good locker room guy seemingly. I don't know. I'm not in the locker room, so I can't give a definitive answer about that. And a lot younger. Ryan Tannehill is 36. Not young. He's not a spring chicken anymore. Got benched for Will Levis. So, I mean, he got hurt and then never got his job back. Be solid. Like, I, Arthur Smith, I think, wants to get Tannehill. But we'll see what Mike Tomlin wants to do. I don't think they're going to give up on Kenny Pickett right now. I could be wrong. My gut right now is like 51% Tannehill, 49% Justin Fields. If I was the Steelers, I would embarrass and Steelers fans. I would love them to get Justin Fields. But the problem is I'm not, and I don't care. So I think they'll stick, try to stick it out with Kenny Pickett and then Justin Fields. I don't know where he goes. I don't. Like, the Raiders make sense. Because they have no quarterback situation right now. Aiden O'Connell's their starter. I don't know what they're going to do with Jimmy Garoppolo. He's not going to be the starter there next year. And it can't be Aiden O'Connell. <laughs> it just can't be Aiden O'Connell. So we'll see. Maybe they go after Michael Penix. Maybe they go after a first-round quarterback. I don't know. But let's get into the mock draft real quick. I'm not going to – do I go over the entire thing? 32 picks. We've already been doing this for about an hour, right? I, I don't really know if I want to go through the entire mock draft. But we'll go over most of it. So number one pick, obviously, Bears kind of speaks for itself at this point in time. Yes, the commanders could trade up with the Bears. I don't know. Maybe the Bears just really fall in love with Jaden Daniels or Drake May or J.J. McCarthy – in the draft process, we'll talk about J.J. McCarthy here in a little bit. But Caleb Williams seemingly the number one overall pick in the draft. Again, I'm not going to throw generational around there. I'm not doing that. But he's a very good quarterback who I think people are changing their opinions about the guy because of the labels that the media has given him. Mixed with the fact USC finished with five losses. And you can look at his record against top 25 teams. Whatever. <laughs> that does not matter to me in the slightest. Because it's not like he played, apart from the Notre Dame game, he didn't have a quote-unquote terrible game in those games. The Notre Dame game, he tried to force the issue way too much. The three picks, not great. But the other games against Washington, against Oregon, he didn't play terrible against Oregon. He didn't play amazing against Oregon. He played really well against Washington. But these top 25 matchups, he himself played all right. But they lost because the defense gave up 50 points. You can't compete against both defenses. It's not fair. It's damn near impossible to win that way. And that was why it was so hard for him to win against those games. And he's an ultra-competitive person, which is what you want from the quarterback position. How many negative stories have you heard from about Caleb Williams from the locker room of USC, apart from shit that people have just put, thrown out there because of the fact he's a very polarizing player? Like, how many people... <laughs> what was the Mike Florio story we said earlier in the week? Like, a few months ago? The profile, I haven't heard a single thing about that since Florio made it up. Because that's what Florio does. I, if you listen to watch Mike Florio, just stop. Don't hurt yourself. It's not It's not worth it. <laughs> but all the reports of that he won't play for XYZ team, like those aren't, those have been proven false too. His team literally called Colin Cowherd to say, hey, stop saying that. This is bullshit. <laughs> Caleb Williams has not said anything about any of this. And yet everybody just keeps attaching it to him. Like, and the, the whole Max Duggan thing, where he tweeted the crying emoji, or that he was making fun of Max Duggan crying. 
He wasn't, but this is how people spin. I brought up to Brady when we did a show. He wasn't making fun of Max Duggan. He was making fun of the hypocrisy from the people in those positions. It was RG3 that tweeted it. RG3 bashed Caleb Williams for crying. And ESPN did not like Caleb Williams crying. This is last year. And they were praising Max Duggan for his toughness. So why do we change the narrative? No one said a thing when Michael Penix cried after almost losing the game to Washington State. No one said anything then when he walked off the field with a freaking towel over his head. No one said that. But we, when Caleb Williams got that video of him crying with his mom after he played a great game against Washington where he put up over 40 points and lost, then we had to talk about that. That's where we had to talk about it. It wasn't Penix. It wasn't Duggan. It wasn't the hundreds of other players that have cried during a football game. Dorian Thompson Robinson cried when he won his first football game this year with the Browns. I didn't see anybody say anything about that. And if you did, you love the passion. That's the number one thing you hear. Love the passion. Unless it's Caleb Williams because he's, again, Caleb Williams won a Heisman last year. Plays for USC, a very polarizing player in his own right. You see him in commercials. He's everywhere. Dr. Pepper, Wendy's. Like, you see him on TV. Games. And now it's kind of funny because from how good we've seen him in college, people are still trying to talk themselves out of drafting Caleb Williams, which is just an insane thought process to me. And I'm not saying I'm going to guarantee Caleb Williams is a star in the NFL. I'm not saying that at all. As we've said a hundred times in this show, you can go back to the 2021 draft or 2020 draft, whatever. 2021 is the main one because that's Trevor Lawrence's draft. And this is the comparison here. Every single player can bust. There is no such thing as a bust-proof prospect. There's no, there's safer prospects, sure. Like players you think are going to be fine in the NFL, but not every player works out like that. It doesn't always work. There's so many factors. Like if Trevor Lawrence had Urban Meyer for the past two years, including his rookie year, or not including his rookie year, so the two years with Doug, with Doug Peterson, we would not be looking at Trevor Lawrence like we do now. Like Trevor Lawrence didn't have a great year this year. You know what? People still include him. Some people still include him as a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And you know what? That's fine. Because we've seen him play really well. If he got Urban Meyer these past few years, we're talking about him with Zach Wilson. Like that's what we're talking about here. No quarterback is immune to busting because there's so many things that take place for a quarterback to succeed in the NFL. Like, people forget Peyton Manning holds the record for interceptions thrown by a rookie. People forget about that. The safest prospects can bust because it's all about circumstance. But when you have a quarterback that is immensely talented, and the Bears are a prime example of not really having the greatest history of quarterbacks, try, you, you cannot talk yourself out of this. Or don't try to. Because Caleb Williams is very good. Just because you don't like how the media portrayed him this year or call him generational prospect. Like, don't try to convince yourself he's a bad quarterback because he's anything from that. The dude's a damn good quarterback. The convincing yourself he's bad is insane to me. It is insane. But he'll go number one. Dumb, I don't know to who, but at this point in time, he's going number one. Number two... Uh, the commanders, we talked about Cliff Kingsbury coming in. Uh, Jaden Daniels makes the most sense fit-wise. Drake May, I have as the number one quarterback, or number 
Yeah, well, in my last range, we had Drake May number one. But looking back throughout all the college, because you can't just be the past year. You got to take everything into account. Drake May is going, would, by most people's estimations, be the number two pick in the draft. Second best quarterback in the draft, fine. Caleb Williams has been that pretty much since last year. But Jaden Daniels, with the season he had this past year at LSU, catapulted himself in this conversation where now we're talking about he's pretty much guaranteed top three pick. Which, when he was at Arizona State, <laughs> and I was writing about him when he was at Arizona State. That was seen as insane. No one thought that. He had moments in the past game. He had moments, but there were some times where he'd just go extremely cold. The run game was always there. Jane Daniels' athleticism, athletic ability, and running ability has never been the question. It's how can he be more consistent as a passer. In these past two seasons at LSU, he's really done that. You saw the vast improvement last year. You started to see what he could be in that game against Alabama. And then this year, we saw him explode and had 40 touchdowns with four picks, which is <laughs> insane. Not to mention 1,100 yards rushing with 11 more touchdowns. That is insane. And people tried to convince us that he didn't deserve the Heisman. What? <laughs> I thought it was stupid before the college football playoff. And then it looked even dumber after the college football playoff. Because even with three more games, Michael Penix still had less touchdowns than Jane Daniels. And three more games. And more interceptions. By a decent amount, too. <laughs> I saw people say biggest Heisman snub ever. It's like, did you watch him the last half of the year? Did you? I don't think you did. I think you're just box score watching, which is a scary thing to do. It's a very scary thing to do. And if you doubt what I'm saying here, you can go on to LoganBlavinShow.com and read all of our blog posts from this past season. But I thought it was funny. So I would like to explain this too. So with the draft coming around, everybody kind of turns into these draft experts, which is why I have the quotation marks around expert because I'm not an expert I don't claim to be I'm not I study it a lot but I I'm far from an expert because it's just predictions at the end of the day but people start coming out of the woodworks every single year random accounts pop up and you get some very odd predictions but um what's his name uh hold on I gotta try and find this here uh did I would I not screenshot it I'm trying to remember what his name is. Oh, there it is. There it is. Uh, Kirk Benkirk. He's a former NFL quarterback, uh, backup on the Packers. He's doing some of the, he's trying to get into the whole realm of scouting and he's getting into the, the, the NFL draft process now. And he posted something that said Jane Dales was number one quarterback in the draft. And one of his lines in the video was kind of funny because he didn't watch Jane Daniels dead. <laughs> he said, Jane Daniels is very smart. When he runs the ball, Jane Daniels take, I wrote this in the blog post for the draft, take some of the most cartoonish hits I've ever seen in my freaking life. This dude could get hit by a feather and fly back 15 yards. He is probably the worst quarterback in the draft in regards to when and when not to take hits. And maybe it's because he's so skinny that it looks more exaggerated than what he is, but he is not good at getting down because what Kirk did was watch a highlight tape. So here's the process for what I do versus what others do. So there's a thing called all 22, which is film from each game. 
The problem is I don't have the money to pay for that subscription to watch all 22. So what I do is watch the games back. I will watch each snap. We'll go through the, each series and all that stuff, and I'll post plays that are either good or bad. You can see those all in the blog post, because now we have videos. Shout out to Vincent for telling me to start putting videos and stuff, because, you know, it helps people a little bit more than just reading it on a page. But having that play, it makes it seem a lot smoother, but the problem is sometimes the videos just don't work for... And it's inconsistent. I don't know why it doesn't work sometimes, but Vincent texted me that when I was going to the Iowa State game, because I was posting my first blog post that week. And he told me about that. I was like, you know what? I'm actually going to start doing that. So every blog post post week two, I think, has a video in it. I think post week two has videos for each quarterback. So I watch each game back. And I always try to use the back angles because the back angles for scouting purposes sometimes work better than the side angles. I think side angle is way better for a broadcast, but for scouting and stuff, using the back angles. But in a highlight tape, for a season-long highlight tape, they will not have Jay and Daniels getting catapulted back by an Ole Miss defender or a Mississippi State defender or a Florida State defender. They won't have any of those plays. So that's somewhat the problem with this. And everybody was making fun of him on Twitter. I haven't seen if he's responded to anything about it, but that stuff's always funny. That stuff always is funny. Because you get this kind of stuff every single year. He said Jay and number one quarterback in the draft. And you know what? I can understand to a certain extent why, especially if you just based it solely off this year, he won the Heisman. Enough said, really. <laughs> so you could, I, that's where you, some arguments can stop and end. Start and end, sorry. Where, hey, this dude won the Heisman this year. So why would he not be the number one quarterback in this year's draft? So if you have that argument, fair enough. <laughs> I don't have his number one. I don't have his number two. But I can make that. I can see you making that argument, and I think there's good reason behind. It. He's got a very, very good arm. He's the most athletic player on the field at all times. He's six foot four. He's about two, uh, he's listed about two hundred, soaking wet, but he's probably about one eighty. But like Lamar Jackson, when he got to the NFL, that dude put on so much muscle when he got to the league. He looks so much different now than when he did when he was a rookie. It's insane, which is credit to how much effort he's put in to becoming the quarterback he's become. Regardless if you think he should have won two MVPs. <laughs> Should have won one, for sure, but I digress. But Jane Daniels is awesome. And I think with Cliff Kingsbury's system, I think Jane Daniels will work very well. They got a good core of wide receivers. You got Terry McLaurin. You also got Jahan Dotson. Like, you've got players there in place. Brian Robinson at running back. You've got players, but you just need a more consistent quarterback, and you need to improve the offensive line. Cliff Kingsbury is an offensive coordinator. It's a very good option as a head coach. I don't like it at all. But as an offensive coordinator, I think that's a very good fit. I think Jane Daniels would fit that. Beautifully. Uh, number three, the Patriots. This one's going to change a hundred times throughout the draft process because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. But Drake May is there for now. I think there's a very good chance Patriots trade out. That's what the Patriots do. That's what the Patriots have always done is trade out of first-round picks and accumulate more picks. That's what they've done their entire existence since the 21st century, which is basically their entire existence as it is. But they always do that. And right now, the third overall pick... Sure, they need a quarterback, but Robert Kraft does like himself with Mac Jones, though I do think they would draft a quarterback later in the draft. But I right now, I would say Drake May goes there. But if not, look for like Denver or Minnesota to trade up to three and draft Drake May. Because it seems like right now, Caleb Williams going one, Jane Daniels two. That's what it seems like now. Again, it's, just, it's February 15th, so we've got some time. But Drake May is going to get 
similarly to the the Caleb Williams stuff of like generational prospects so we don't like him or the crying with his mom like we don't like that kind of stuff like that's lazy stuff lazy stuff and you look at scoreboards and all that stuff he's XYZ against top 25 teams his numbers are very good his defense was lying 50 points a game that stuff's lazy and pisses me off Drake May on the other hand his lazy <laughs> scouting is that he played at North Carolina he wore number 10 that's it. We're not drafting him. That is the scouting process of Drake May. <laughs> he wore number 10 and played at North Carolina. That is it. That is 100% it. I was telling my uncle about that on Christmas. So I don't like Drake May. I don't like Drake May. I was like, why? What did you like about Drake May? I would, I'm willing to bet. I don't know because I haven't asked him. I'm willing to bet he has not watched a single second of Drake May play ever. <laughs> because he's not Mitch Trubisky. And I said about three or four times, I'm pretty sure he's because he wears number 10 plays for North Carolina. <laughs> I think it's your only reason you don't like him. I think it's your only reason. And for some people, that's enough. It's like Jane Daniels won the Heisman. For some people, that's enough. Number one quarterback. You won the Heisman this past year, number one quarterback. Drake May, you wore number 10 play for North Carolina. I'm not drafting you because you've got the same number in school as Trubisky. We're not playing. You're not drafting you. are not doing anything. Trubisky can make every single throw in the field. Every single one. Now, that being said... That he can make every single throw in the field. He has what we call big arm syndrome. And by that, I mean he feels like he can get the ball anywhere on the field. And 90% of the time he can. But sometimes he gets a little too reckless with it and it ends up being an interception. That's exactly what happened with Josh Allen early in his career. And some could even say that's him now. But Drake May sometimes gets the in trouble. But when it connects, it is beautiful. And then not only that, Drake May is a very... Very slight trash talker. And I love that kind of trash talk. Where you don't look, you look at him and you go like, oh, that seems like a very fine gentleman right there. And he's cussing you out on the field. <laughs> like he's John back and forth with the team and he doesn't look like he says anything ever to anybody ever. And yeah, he's talking shit on the field. We love that. While also hurdling defenders too. Look at the game against Duke. Literally hurdling defenders. But those, he can get in trouble with the, forcing the ball a little bit he can but there were games like against nc state which was not one of his best games they ended up getting beat but he had some really big runs in that game the dude's six foot four 230 pounds from a prototypical standpoint he's one of the guys you're looking for arm strength size athleticism like he's got what you want in a quarterback but there's going to be some people that scout the helmet versus the player that's sometimes an issue we get into like, C.J. Stroud's the first Ohio State quarterback to be a definitive success in the NFL. Like, he's a top 10 quarterback in his rookie year. I had him at number six. Like, Justin Fields has been solid to this point in his career. But is that enough to buck the trend of Ohio State quarterbacks can't play in the NFL? No, in my opinion. At least, it's, uh, like, we talked about that with Justin Fields going into the draft. Like, the most successful quarterback to come out of Ohio State's Tom Tupa, who's a punter. Like, that's the most successful NFL quarterback from Ohio State. Did Justin Fields do enough in those people's eyes to say that Ohio State quarterbacks are good? I don't think so. I think you that's T.J. Stroud. Oregon quarterbacks. Justin Herbert bucked that trend. Apart from Dan Fouts, who got drafted in the 70s, Marks Mariota, Kellen Clemens, Dennis Dixon, Achilles Smith, who had a nine on his Wonder League test. Like, no good Oregon quarterbacks were in the NFL. Mariota was fine, but again, not enough to buck the trend. Herbert did that. 
So you get people scouting the helmet, and people will compare Drake May to Justin Herbert a lot. Drake May is more athletic than Justin Herbert, but from mannerisms, from arm talent, Justin Herbert's bigger, but like not by a lot. They do some similar, very similar things. So he's obviously he's the obvious comp with Drake May. It's the same thing with Caleb Williams. Like his obvious comp to most people out there is Patrick Mahomes. Jane Daniels is Lamar Jackson, but I think Jane Daniels is a at this point. Like, when Lamar Jackson was coming out of college, at this point in their careers, we're obviously not looking at Lamar Jackson in the NFL. Dane Daniels is a far superior passer coming out of college than Lamar Jackson was. And then that's not to say Lamar Jackson couldn't throw the ball, but Jane Daniels, with the deep ball that he's turned himself into this year, has been absolutely ridiculous. But the Patriots, again, they need a quarterback, potentially. I mean, potentially. They need a quarterback. The, matter, the fact of the matter is if they draft one. Like, Mac Jones, he didn't. He got his fifth-year option declined. Maybe they're waiting to see how he does this year, and then they sign him another contract. Bailey Zappi apparently was sitting in the wide receiver's room because the quarterback room is so toxic. So who the hell knows what's going on in New England? I think Wes Welker's their OC. No, Alex Van Pelt's their OC. Bill's legend, Alex Van Pelt. Dude, fat as shit now. But it's <laughs> Drake may snatch uh, Mac Jones' chain, take the number 10 jersey. That'd be kind of funny, actually. But Drake may comes from a family of athletes. The Patriots like family lineage and athletes. Like you look at players they've drafted in the past. Like look at Christian Gonzalez's last year. I think his mom was a basketball player in the past. Like Drake May's family all played at North Carolina. His brother played. He either played, I know he played in one, but I don't know if he won the national championship with North Carolina. Luke May. Had brothers that play baseball. His dad played for North Carolina. Like the Patriots like that kind of stuff. Regardless of Gerard Mayo says he's going to be his own guy. His first year, you're going to copy the Belichick run. <laughs> it's hard not to. That's no knock to Gerard Mayo. That's just not – it's hard to knock that. Bill Belichick is one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach of all time. So it's it's hard to necessarily knock that, especially when you're the first guy to replace him. But quarterback's going one, two, three. That'd be the third, fourth time in NFL history it's happened. So obviously you got 2021 with Lawrence Wilson and Trey Lance. you got 99 with Tim Couch, Donovan McNabb, and Achilles Smith. And they've got 72 with Jim Plunkett, Archie Manning, and Dan Pastorini, 71-72. One of those two years. I can't remember which one. I'm not looking it up either, so that's up to you. <laughs> but be the fourth time it's happened. I think there's a very good chance it happens. Now, the Patriot, now this exact order remains to be seen. Teams and players completely remains to be seen. The Patriots are, I think, have like a 45% chance to trade out of this spot. I think a team like the Vikings or the Packer, Packers, the uh, Broncos would be one of the teams to make that trade. I definitely think they would. Especially with some of the recent news surrounding one specific quarterback. But again, we'll talk about him in a little bit. You know exactly who I'm talking about. But number four overall, Cardinals. Weapons for Kyler Murray. Marvin Harrison Jr., probably the best player in the draft. Um, you were going to talk about, well, I don't want to say length. <laughs> Wingspan's insane. You put the ball in his general area, he's going to catch it. There was What game was it? The famous one where he's basically just like laying down on the ground like, you watch the Bengals-Vikings game where Nick Mullins threw the interception laying on his back. Marvin Harrison caught a football like that at Ohio State. Like You put it in his general vicinity, he's going to catch it. He's bigger than everybody that's trying to guard him. He's faster than damn near everybody trying to guard him. Like The only thing I could knock against Marvin Harrison, I didn't necessarily like his effort a ton on the interceptions thrown by Kyle McCord against Michigan, but that's regardless to take away from everything that Marvin Harrison did while at Ohio State. The dude's an awesome, awesome, awesome wide receiver. I'm going to speed run through the rest of these. We'll stop at quarterbacks, but Chargers, Brock Bowers, they need a tight end. Gerald Everett's free agent. 
Uh, Jim Harbaugh likes himself some tight ends. You look at Colson Loveland was at Michigan. A.J. Barner at Michigan this past year. They used him quite a bit in the offense. Obviously, Jim Harbaugh's identity is running the football. You look at what they did in San Francisco. You look at what they did at Michigan. You look at what they did at Stanford. He wants to run the football. He wants to be a physical team that runs the ball. So I toyed with the idea of off to tackle, like Taliese Fuaga from Oregon State to right tackle. Uh, Trey Pipkins is not that good at right tackle for the Chargers. I know he signed a three-year contract like last year, but still, he's not very good. And they want to get more physical, so maybe Joel Fuaga, one of those two guys I think fits what Jim Harbaugh wants to do. Fuaga, I just feel he's he is a right tackle. Like, Alt would have to switch over to right tackle, which I have no doubt he could do. It's not... Like, today, with the NFL... Like, back in the day, that was a huge ask to move from one side to the other. But now, you're running drills that are flipping sides. So, you're kind of running similar-ish things, so it's not as big as a transition as it once was. Uh, for also those... Kalen Clark has 40 points right now. Um, but Brock Bowers, you look at what he wants to do, like... Brock Bowers, you look at like Sam Laporta, you look at Kyle Pitts getting drafted in the top five with him. Potential obviously there with Kyle Pitts, but just his use, he's not getting used as much. You look at Travis Kelsey, George Kittle. I mean, Travis Kelsey's in your division. I think the Chargers could probably trade back. Again, Vikings would be the team to look back with the trade because they're obviously not going to trade with the Broncos or Raiders to try to draft a quarterback. It's stupid. But you could trade back with the Vikings. And you can see the Vikings taking one of the top options there if they start to slide or they take the other guy. But Bowers, I think, makes sense. I Receiver makes... Sorry. Receiver makes sense, too. Mike Williams and Keenan Allen haven't necessarily been the most healthy. Keenan Allen's obviously getting older. Quentin Johnson necessarily didn't light the world alight this past year. And you look at their defensive coordinator, Zinter. He did say that Roma Dunze was probably one or two best receiver in college football. So, this is before the, set, the final against Washington. So, if they don't go Bowers... Adunze, I think, would be the pick if they go receiver. Off to tackle, Fuaga's the most logical in regards to position, but Alt's the better prospect, so maybe you go Alt. One of those two, I think, would be the option there. Uh, six, the Giants, Malik Neighbors, compared a lot to Stefan Diggs, one of the better receivers in this draft, one of the better receivers in college football. He lost the Blitnikoff Award by one vote, if I'm not mistaken. One of the best deep route receivers in college football. Him and Brian Thomas this past year were just insane. Just insane. Maybe not getting the much of a respect as Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson when they were with Joe Burrow, but hey, those are two aliens. It's that's fine. But Neighbors and Brian Thomas definitely, definitely held their own. Malik Neighbors was definitely the Batman in the situation, but a very smart wide receiver can run the whole route tree. That's what you want. Seventeen catches of thirty plus yards. Thirty-four catches on twenty plus yards. Like the dude just made every every catch down the field. A yak machine. And Joe Shane, GM, former Bill, so the, he's looking for receivers with football IQ and the ability to get open, which is what Neighbors does tenfold. And Brian Dable, obviously the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills. Stefan Diggs, obviously player with the Buffalo Bills. Makes sense to want that kind of guy. If where And some people apparently have said that the gap between Neighbors and Harrison in regards to prospect is non-existent for some teams. How real that is, I have no idea. And obviously the Giants could draft a tackle. Because if you remember, Evan Neal did play guard sometimes at, at Alabama. So you could kick him inside the guard because he's not been great at tackle, though he's played about 20 games in two years or something. So there's some leeway there. Maybe they want to work with that. But it's tackle receiver for the Giants. I don't think they go quarterback, but who knows? You never know. You could get tempted. Could get tempted. Daniel Jones' contract is not ideal, but I guess you could technically get out of it. So it just depends on how they want to look at it. 
Uh, seven, the Titans, Joe Alt. Pretty simple. They need to draft, they need to opt line help for Will Levis. Could go wide receiver here, but off the line's the biggest need. You drafted Peter Skronsky, kicked him inside the left guard last year. Andre Dillard, not necessarily the greatest tackle in the league. So drafting a left tackle, you have a young left side, your off the line, locked down in Joe Alton Skronsky. Two Midwest guys, too. Two Midwest guys. And Brian Callahan, obviously coming in as the head coach, former OC with the Bengals. His dad's Bill Callahan. Obviously, uh, he was the head coach of the Raiders. Offensive line coach in his day as well, so he's going to be banging the drum for offensive linemen. And Brian Callahan, son of a coach, son of a football guy, Joe Walt, son of a football guy whose dad played for the Kansas City Chiefs in the 90s. You would think Brian Callahan can relate to him in some extent. So to some extent. So we go with Joe Alt. Solidify the offensive line for Will Levis. Again, receiver's definitely an option there. Falcons, this one was odd because Falcons edge rusher seems like to be the need every single freaking year. Because they're in the bottom part of the league in sacks every single year. But in this mock draft, I compared them to the Packers. In regards to the Packers' need for however many years has been wide receiver. Every person has said wide receiver of the Green Bay Packers. And guess what? And in this regard to the first round, guess what? They don't draft wide receivers in the first round. The last time they did was 0-2 with Javon Walker. They have not done that since then. Now, they have drafted some pretty solid wide receivers in later rounds. But never in the first round. When they've needed a receiver, or when everybody thought they needed a wide receiver, they drafted the quarterback. They drafted defensive guys. Like, they never drafted receivers. Aaron Rodgers, I believe, has one passing touchdown to a first-round player in his career. One. It was to Mercedes Lewis, if I'm not mistaken. As an entire career with Green Bay, that spans since 2005. I guess to, since 2008, since when he started really playing. But... Since then, one touchdown <laughs> to a first-round draft pick. And then he drafted his replacement in the first round. Now, that turned out to be a very solid selection. But they just never did it. And they've been fine. Like, you look at the receiving core they got now. Very young receiving core, talented receiving core. None of them drafted in the first round. Christian Watson almost was, but not. And the Falcons are the same way. They have needed edge rusher help, and they've drafted edge rushers. But in the first round, the past three drafts, they drafted a tight end, running back, and receiver. So could they draft a, a skill position player here? They do need some more help at wide receiver. Drake London can't do it by himself. They, I mean, yeah, Jonu Smith might still be there. I, I think he's going to be there this offseason. And you got Raheem Morris coming in. You got Zach Robinson coming in. So you would expect B. John Robinson's numbers to go up. Because you look at what Zach Robinson did in an offense with Kyron Williams. What do you think he could do with B. John Robinson? Well, you would expect those numbers to go up, but the Falcons with Raheem Morris coming in and their uh, defensive coordinator, Jimmy Lake, they both served as secondary coaches. The Falcons' main need is edge rusher. I like quarterback, but edge rusher's a main, a big need too. A persistent need with them. But with these guys being secondary guys, I could see them going corner to get someone opposite of A.J. Terrell. You look at the likes of Mike Hughes being a free agent next year. A.J. Terrell will be a free agent next year, but I'm pretty confident he'll resign. But Jeff Akuda and Trey Flowers are all free agents. So getting a corner opposite A.J. Terrell for long term makes a lot of sense to me. And A.J. Terrell just might be the best defender in the draft. A former safety at Bama, he is one of the more physical corners in the entire draft. Very twitchy corner. And even for the Falcons, when you look at this division, it's not necessarily the most like a, a murderer's row type division here. But you expect the Panthers to get better next year. You would expect the Saints to be better. You expect like maybe Michael Thomas to be back next year. Maybe the Saints get another weapon for the offense. 
Maybe the Buccaneers are going to hold keep hold of Mike Evans. They've got a lot of free agents, though. Maybe they draft a wide receiver as well. So you can afford to maybe, maybe take a lesser need in this draft with a high ceiling. Like the best player, regardless of position. And Terry and Arnold may very well just be that. Like Ed Rusher, quarterback, might be bigger needs, but Terry and Arnold might be the best defender in the draft. If that makes any sense. It might not make any sense, but I'm trying to justify it here. But he's a very good corner. Very, very good corner. Like, you look at even just the tackles. He was like, what I wrote it down where the... Where did it go? Where did it go? Oh, yeah. He finished fourth on the team in tackles this past year as a freaking corner. And he was four off from being second on the team in tackles. As a corner. Like, the dude's just super aggressive and I think would fit perfectly in what Raheem Morris wants to do. I think he definitely improved the defense and that secondary could get a little bit of boost there. Uh, the Bears at nine, uh, it's probably either going to be edge rusher or receiver and depending on who's available. I have Roma Dunze going there. I love pairing quarterbacks with wide receivers in the draft. It's one of my favorite things to do. I think it's one of the smartest things to do because you can have them develop together. Like, look at Joe Burrow and T. Higgins. They got drafted the exact same year. Stick with the Bengals, you got A.J. Green and Andy Dalton drafted the exact same year. Like, that's what you'd like to do. You develop at the same rate. You start your careers young. You both don't know each other. You're both going to a new city. So what are you going to do to get to know each other? You're just going to spend every single day at the practice field. Throwing routes every single day. Your chemistry is going to be boosted by 100%. You look at like the Darnell Mooney, who's a free agent. You look at uh, Trent Taylor. You get Equinemius St. Brown, free agents. You got DJ Moore there, but no other receiver on the Bears had over 500 receiving yards. Not a single one. The top two receivers on the Bears, apart from DJ Moore, were Darnell Mooney and Tyler Scott, who combined had one touchdown. And Darnell Mooney obviously had the pick against the Cleveland Browns. That shouldn't have ended up with a pick and could have actually won the game for the Bears. So I think his career might have ended at that point. Bears fans loved themselves from Darnell Mooney. At least they did. I don't know what the feelings are around him now. I'm sure at an all-time low after that pick. But pairing Caleb Williams or whoever your quarterback is with a receiver in the draft, and this receiving class is insanely deep. If Roma Dunze isn't there, the only way I don't see the Bears drafting a Dunze or neighbors is if they're not there. And if that's the case, you draft an edge rusher to pair with Montez Sweat. Because Yannick Ngakwe is going to be a free agent this year. And Montez Sweat was a brilliant move from Ryan Poles. Like, it was seen as kind of a little bit of a reach at the time in regards to how much they gave up. But the dude's balled out this year. He was the Bears' leading sacker, and he didn't even play the season here, the full season here. Like, they're definitely going to need a boost along the defensive line, and maybe like Jared Verse, who might not be higher on people's boards than Dallas Turner, but he plays that 4-3 defense that Eberflus runs. So if we're talking again, like with Fuaga at the Chargers, if we're talking about fit, Jared Verse might fit better in Chicago than Dallas Turner. Not saying, again, Dallas Turner couldn't revert to being a hand-in-the-dirt 4-3 defensive end. I have no doubt he could do that. But his skill set definitely suits more outside linebacker in a 3-4. So it just depends on what you're looking at here. But that's probably your next option. Tackle, yeah, makes sense. But Braxton Jones isn't a bad tackle. Maybe you don't want to. Maybe you don't want to move forward with a okay left tackle. But he's not. I don't. He's not one of the bigger problem areas on the Chicago Bears team. Obviously, drafted Darnell Wright with the ninth, tenth pick last year. Because remember, he traded back with the Eagles. He had the ninth pick, but. Receiver and edge rusher, apart from quarterback, are your top two needs. So those are two, those are two I 
focus on here in the first round anyways. And then 10th, you've got the New York Jets tackle. I went with Olufashanu. People might have Fuaga above him. They might have Latham above him. But Fashanu's very raw. He didn't necessarily have the best season this past year as he did like the season prior. He's very raw as a run blocker, but the potential is there. He's an elite pass protector. And for a team like the Jets, who have a 40-year-old quarterback coming off an ace, uh, Achilles tear, pass protection should be number one priority at this point. And off the line is the Jets' only priority in this draft. Only one. There's only one need in this team right now. <laughs> There's multiple needs. But in the first round, like, sure, you can draft Brock Bowers. That'd be fine. But you need to get a tackle. Fuaga, in regards to culture fit, I think fits better. And maybe you want to slide him at right tackle or left tackle. Maybe you want to put Vera Tucker at right tackle. Maybe, I don't know. You can have a lot of different options here. Regardless, you need tackle. And Fashanu probably has the highest ceiling out of the top tier. Nah, you're looking at Guyton and not Amarius Mims in that regard too. But one of the highest ceilings in the, gra- in the draft in regards to tackles. Already a very good pass protector. Run blocking will need to be improved. But that's, you know, we see that more and more in college football. Run blocking needs to improve. But you have to believe in your system. And I think the Jets do. So... I would go with Fashanu here, slot him in at left tackle, pass protect for Aaron Rodgers. Hope he builds on the run game because that can only improve. Pass protect, he's already really good at it. But I'm not going to go through the rest of the draft. We're going to – I'll skim through it. I'll definitely skim through it, but I'm not going to go through the rest of the draft. (laughs) I'm not going through 32 picks. I will talk about the next two for sure, though. That's the Vikings and Broncos. So the Minnesota Vikings at 11, quarterback, needy team. Makes sense. They don't know what their quarterback situation is. Kirk Cousins is technically a free agent, or technically is a free agent. And the future, we don't know what holds for him. Justin Jefferson has expressed his desire to have Kirk Cousins return to the franchise. Kirk Cousins has said he would love to return to the Vikings, but right now we don't know. We're playing the guessing game here. And the Vikings, if you believe reports, tried to move up in the draft last year to draft Anthony Richardson. This is a Minnesota Vikings team that has a young GM and a young head coach. They're going to want to draft their quarterback. They're going to want to. It's what every coach and GM tandem wants to do is draft a quarterback. That is the number one sign of how good your organization is, is drafting a quarterback. The 49ers got extremely lucky with Brock Purdy because people would be looking at him a lot differently if they were turning to the likes of Brian Hoyer instead of Brock Purdy after Trey Lance got hurt. That wouldn't They wouldn't be looking at the same there as we do right now because that should be getting a lot more scrutiny than what it, what it has given how much they gave up to get Trey Lance and then they got rid of him the next offseason essentially next two offseasons but they're going to want to do that and I think McCarthy fits for what the Minnesota Vikings want to do but in the same breath for this they got a lot of free agents on defense you look at the edge rushing department you look at Marcus Davenport they signed last year you got Daniel Hunter who's been in a contract situation it feels like the past three or four years with the Vikings you got some free agents along the defensive line as well Brian Flores did nothing short than worked miracles with the Vikings defense last year. We're nothing short. But how bad it was the season prior to get it to where it was to be serviceable at points really good is really impressive. But we kind of knew that going in because Brian Flores is a damn good defensive coordinator. He doesn't care about your player relationships. He wants results. And this season, the Vikings did a pretty solid job on the defensive side of the ball. But there's free agents. And Brian Flores blitzes a lot. He loves to send himself a blitz package. He loves to set up a blitz package. 
the Vikings aren't guaranteed. Like, Justin Jefferson is going to want to get paid. So you've got Justin Jefferson to deal with. You got a quarterback situation to deal with. You got Daniel Hunter to deal with. You've got so many situations to deal with for the Minnesota Vikings that you've got to just kind of pick a need and take it. Your star wide receiver wants Kirk Cousins back. And this is how I'm looking at it now. In regards to it, I think the Vikings in my next mock draft, spoiler alert, I'll probably have him drafted a quarterback. But for this specific one, this is how I was thinking about it. Your star wide receiver wants Kirk Cousins back. I think there's a very good chance if I can still trade up to draft like J.J. McCarthy or something or take him here at 11, which I don't think he will be available given what everything I've read recently. But again, I made this last week. I posted this on Monday, so there's been a few days since then. But we'll talk about McCarthy here very, very shortly. Jefferson wants paid. He wants Cousins back. I don't think there's a reality where you can bring all the best people back. Maybe there is, and I'm just naive to that fact. Maybe there is. But, as I see it now, the Vikings would more likely turn to the defensive side of the ball first. That's what I was thinking going into this. My opinions, so I, I could go either. I'm like 50-50 with this. But what I was thinking these past three weeks was if they can't get Hunter back, they got to get an edge rusher. And Dallas Turner, like we talked about with the Bears pick, is a natural fit in a 3-4 outside linebacker position, which is exactly what Brian Flores has run. Brian Flores runs. And again, with the blitz packages that he puts forth and the amount of blitz he calls, Dallas Turner would fit that to a T. Like Will Turner, you, I don't put much stock in this because every player you're gonna it's gonna be you're gonna be hard pressed to find a former player say that they're better than X Y Z player. Like Will Anderson got drafted last year, he said Dallas Turner was better. Obviously, because I'm assuming they're friends because they played football together. At least they were in the same position group, so you would imagine they're at least. Friendly, if not friends, he's gonna obviously boost him. They're never like when Jalen Jalen Waddle and uh, Devonte Smith got drafted. They asked him who do they like more between Tua and Mac Jones. They both said Mac Jones because Tua was already drafted. Mac Jones was in the process of getting drafted, so I was gonna boost his draft stock at least try to. So William Anderson saying Dallas Turner is better than him. I don't really know if I'd pull a ton of weight in that, but you can do whatever you want with that. But Dallas Turner is a damn good football player. And one of the best defenders, if not the best defender of the draft, in regards to like Terry and Arnold's Alabama teammate, Jared Verse could definitely be in the conversation there. But Jared Verse is way more natural with four three than a three four. But who knows? But uh, the Vikings with a quarterback, I think that's uh, like very likely. Again, I was 50-50 on the whole thing. Broncos. The other reason why I had the Vikings take an edge rusher, I feel like Sean Payton hates Russell Wilson. And they are more likely <laughs> to take a quarterback here. But again, I don't think, given everything I've read this week, it could change. J.J. McCarthy will be available by this pick. So what I'm thinking now, which is ironic because I, I do this every year, where I post a mock draft and I instantly hate it. I hate everything about it. It's the worst mock draft I've ever posted. I hate it every single time. Because now my brain's going, okay, number one, Caleb Williams of the Bears. Number two, Commanders take Jane Daniels third overall the Denver Broncos trade up with the Patriots draft Drake May the Vikings trade up to five draft McCarthy that's my mindset right now but at the same breath the Patriots need a quarterback I just I'm see quarterback market's so odd it's just very oh Caitlin Clark just broke an Iowa single game scoring record too she has 49 points convenient she scored the set two records in one night tonight one single game one career 
But I just think Sean Payton hates Russell Wilson. And you can see that from the start. Like he kicked Russell Wilson's team out of the st- out of the offices. He's like, I don't know what that is. I've never experienced that. We're gonna have our guys in here and get his team out of here. He did not. He did not mess with the uh, uh, the Danger Witch stuff and the knife and fork, which is just unhinged to say knife and fork instead of fork and knife. That is insane. But Russell Wilson, he had a solid year. He was better than what he was last year, which isn't really saying a whole lot. The Broncos' offense was somewhat better than they were last year, but Sean Payton and Russell Wilson's relationship is just odd. And I think they're more likely to draft a quarter. They're, I think they're more desperate, if that's the better way to look at this, than the Vikings are for the quarterback anyways. I could be wrong, but again, I think ultimately, like the Vikings, if they don't take McCarthy, I have them taking Penix in the second or third or second round, whatever. We don't do second round here. But... Again, I think there's a chance the Vi- McCarthy fits the Vikings very well. I think McCarthy fits Denver very well. J.J. McCarthy's a quick processor. J.J. McCarthy's got a very good arm, very athletic. He doesn't force the ball into tight windows. Or he does I shouldn't say that. J.J. McCarthy does not force the ball when necessary. Or when it's, what, what am I trying to say? He does not force the issue. Let's put it like that. Because J.J. McCarthy can fit the ball in some very tight windows. Very, very tight windows. But... Like we talked about before the Iowa game, if J.J. McCarthy gives you a chance to turn the ball or take the ball away, like we saw against Alabama, you have to take it because guess what? He's never doing that again. He did three times against Bowling Green. So in thir- wait, 15 games this year, he threw four picks. Three of them were in one game. So in 14 games this year, he threw one pick. If you don't force the issue, you're not going to get him to turn the ball over. Like, in Michigan's offense was not predicated on him throwing the ball everywhere. Like we talked about with Jim Harbaugh. He loves to run the football. So when people look at J.J. McCarthy's box scorings, go like, oh, he went 7 over 8 against Penn State. He made some really good throws in that game. But the game plan did not say, hey, give J.J. McCarthy 30-plus throws. If the game does not call for that, do not change the game plan. You can't just go, oh, we got to boost J.J. McCarthy's stat, or his stats because armchair GMs out there say he's not very good because he threw for 2,900 yards this year instead of actually watching how he operates. J.J. McCarthy's an insanely athletic quarterback. J.J. McCarthy is very smart where he throws the football. J.J. McCarthy's an insane processor when it comes to throwing the football. J.J. McCarthy has a very strong arm. J.J. McCarthy has every single tool you want in a quarterback, but that being said... You have to have a firm structure in place. If he went to, I don't know, let's put, um, like if he went to the Falcons, that would scare me a little bit, not going to lie. Because I want him to at least learn behind somebody, like a Cousins. Like maybe even, like I would imagine Sean Payton signs a free agent anyways if they get rid of Russell Wilson. I, I don't think that he would go in with J.J. being the main guy. I could be wrong. Maybe J.J. McCarthy is absolutely insane at the gate. I don't know. But I would like there to be a presence there. Josh Allen got insanely lucky because the way the Bills had that quarterback room set up when they got drafted set him up to fail off the jump. A.J. McCarron and Nathan Peterman were the only two other quarterbacks on the roster. And then once they cut Peter or McCarron and benched Peterman, they brought in Derek Anderson and Matt Barkley. Like, you look at all the other quarterbacks in the 2018 draft class. Baker Mayfield and Tyrod Taylor. Now, the Bills had Tyrod Taylor, but they had a contract situation. They had to get rid of him. So, you have Tyrod Taylor in Cleveland. 
mixed with Drew Stanton, who had a veteran in the NFL as well. Then you look at Sam Darnold had Josh McCown and Teddy Bridgewater. Then you look at Josh Allen with A.J. McCarron and Nathan Peterman. You look at Josh Rosen with Sam Darnold, and I think Mike Glennon was there. Lamar Jackson had Joe Flacco and Robert Griffin III. Out of all those quarterbacks, which room would you want to have the least? (laughs) You have to have a firm thing in place for a young quarterback that is raw. McCarthy has all the skills to pay the bills at the next level. I think Sean Payton and Kevin O'Connell are coaches that could definitely help him realize said potential. But I like the fact that Kirk Cousins is there, potentially. But again, I think the Vikings and Broncos would bring someone in as well. I don't think they would just go, hey, here's a quarterback room of J.J. McCarthy and Jaron Hall, and then we're going to go play. That's not what the Vikings would do. If Kirk Cousins doesn't come back, they're going to sign someone else. They're not going to go, hey, Jaron, J.J., you guys are the starters. Battle it out. Figure it out. That's not what's going to happen. That's a very reckless idea there. Because that's the same thing the Bills did. Jaron Hall did not light the world alight at all. Peterman obviously threw five interceptions one half in the season prior, and the Bills said, you know what, you're going to be the starter next year. That would be the same thing that the Vikings would do if Jaron Hall was the starter next year. Jaron Hall played three quarters, two and a half quarters, and they go, hey, Jaron Hall, you're going to start opening game this next season, and McCarthy's going to learn from you. That is a dumb idea. Josh Allen got lucky. He got very lucky. Because he could easily falter. That's a lot says a lot about his mentality. And JJ, by all accounts, I think has a pretty solid foundation. But the meditation stuff, kind of funny. But I I respect it. But I think these two spots, Denver and Minnesota, I think are two very good spots for JJ McCarthy. I think it's really funny though, the discourse about JJ McCarthy right now. Like last when was it, a month ago? A little less than a month ago? Jim Harbaugh went on Colin Coward's show and said he wouldn't be surprised if Jim McCarthy was first overall pick in the draft. First quarterback taken in the draft. And everybody laughed about the building. But now, when people have actually stopped, you know, just looking at box scores, you can actually analyze J.J. McCarthy and go, wow, this guy has a lot of potential. But now, from laughing at Jim Harbaugh, now we're looking at the fact that, hey, this guy might be the best quarterback in the draft. I don't want to go that far. I think J.D. McCarthy is a very, very good quarterback. Like, here's something I saw today. This is from NFL Draft Files, NFL underscore DF on Twitter. And uh, NFL Draft Scout, is that... Hold on. I don't remember who it... That's, that's Matt Miller, right? I need to remember what is... NFL Draft... Okay, that is Matt Miller. So... Matt Miller on Twitter said, Jay McCarthy would be Joe Burrow if he were on a team that threw the ball. Is what Matt, one scout had to say to Matt Miller. Currently QB4, McCarthy has been mocked to the Vikings and Giants, much to polarization of their respect. This is why we said J.J. McCarthy is the most polarizing quarterback in the draft. Because nobody knows how good he could be because we just didn't see the numbers in regards to, like comparing to Penix and Knicks, like these guys. You don't see the numbers that you see with those guys, uh, McCarthy as you see with those guys. So it's... Uh, Opens up a lot of different opinions about him. But then the guy continues to go, says, In my opinion, however, either of these franchises would be incredibly, in all caps, lucky to have a chance to draft Jim McCarthy and take advantage of athletic tools and arm talent. His stock continues to rise each day. Don't be surprised if he passes Drake May or Jane Dales by late April. And then someone quote tweeted that and said, Burrow played a schedule that included 29 win 
win in a row. Clemson stacked NFL blue chips. One of the most loaded Alabama teams ever on the road. Georgia with a top three defense. New York six, winner Florida, Oklahoma, and made all that look like FCS schools. Joe Burrow lit the world of lights. Brave season I've ever seen in college football. But again, Joe Burrow was allowed luxury to throw the football. LSU's offense was far more expansive than Michigan's offense. Michigan's offense is a very rigid system. Michigan's offense is very pound the rock. We're going to beat you into submission pretty much. And then when J.J. McCarthy needs to throw, he's going to make some throws. It's not like they like they never trusted McCarthy to throw the ball because when he needed to throw the football, you look at the game against Alabama, you need him to throw the ball, he's going to make the throws. If the game plan again, though, doesn't say to throw the ball, we're not going to force the issue. We're staying with our thing. This is why I told Brady last week. Herbert will probably be more in MVP conversations with less stats than what he had had these past few years. Like, it's just it's weird how the system works but and how NFL voters work, but that's probably what's going to be. And it wouldn't surprise me. This is, again, McCarthy going top five would not shock me at this point in time. J.J. McCarthy, I have never said, would fall past the Raiders. That's been my floor for J.J. McCarthy since we started focusing our attention towards the draft, since making mock drafts. Bo Nix, I think, is somebody that could be in that conversation for first round, but I don't, I don't know. I, I liked what Bo Nix did at Oregon, but I don't know. I, I He's got a lot of football under his belt. He's another guy I think it could fit in Denver. He's a Denver guy. Like, if they don't, if Denver and Minnesota don't go McCarthy, then it'd be like Penix in Minnesota and then Knicks in Denver. But my only logic behind Miles Turner, or Miles Turner, Dallas Turner going to Minnesota over McCarthy is just because of the free agents and my thought process that Sean Payton hates Russell Wilson. <laughs> Which the Vikings, if they want J.D. McCarthy at 11 and they're, he's available with that pick and they want him. They're going to take him. It doesn't matter how much Sean Payton hates Russell Wilson. They're going to take him. They do not care how much they dislike somebody. If they want the guy and they haven't traded up to get him, they're going to take him. Or it'll take Turner. <laughs> but again, my gut right now, conveniently, four days after I post the draft, is Williams, Daniels, May to Chicago, Washington, Denver, and then the Vikings trade up with the Chargers and draft McCarthy. Passing the Giants and Falcons, which I think are two teams that could definitely look at it. Spin zone, though. Bears trade back with Commanders. Commanders draft Williams. Bears draft Marvin Harrison. They draft McCarthy at nine. Imagine that one, though. Imagine that move. That would be insane. Because then you got the Bears fans thinking, oh, wait, we're keeping Justin Fields. We're keeping Justin Fields. Ninth pick rolls up. Or they trade up to seven. They trade up with the, the Titans or something. With the seventh pick in the NFL draft, the Chicago Bears select J.J. McCarthy, quarterback, <laughs> Michigan. The mass pandemonium in Chicago would be insane. But I'm here for it. I think that'd be a fun one. Yeah, obviously, again, need to sign somebody because you can't go in the season with because Justin Fields be traded. They're they're not going to keep Justin Fields, but at least at that point, I, I think McCarthy's just going to be. He's the most polarizing quarterback right now, and even including Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is more pol- – they're polarizing for two different things, though. Two completely different things. Like, Caleb Williams is more from the idea that people have created that he's this big diva, and J.J. McCarthy is that you just haven't seen him put up the numbers that everybody else has. But again, I think he's a quick process. I think he's extremely athletic. I think he needs to put on some more weight. 
He's not very big. He's like six three, but probably a buck seventy, buck eighty. I don't know what he's listed at, but he's not very big. But I think him with Kevin O'Connell or Sean Payne would be awesome for his career. Is there any other picks that I like really want to touch on here? Uh, Colts taking Brian Thomas. He fits their freak athletic list. And you got a young quarterback in Anthony Richardson. Get him more weapons. Michael Pittman will probably come back, but who knows? Even if he does, Brian Thomas be insane deep threat for the Colts, who have one of the strongest arm quarterbacks in the NFL. Only played a few games this year. It's always smart when you have a young athletic quarterback that's really raw to surround him in his first year. Well, that's often linemen or receivers. I could defense is definitely an option. The cornerback room is very a mess. Uh, edge rushing department's not like in regards to team. They finished like top ten in sacks. But they don't have that premier guy on the edge. So Jared Verse, we brought him up before, 4-3 defense, I think would fit there too. Uh, is there any Tyler Guyton to the Jaguars? He fits the Jaguars' more Rob toolsy prospect, especially along the lines where some of Trent Balky really likes to look for. Got an option at right tackle because Cam Robinson's future is up in the air. Anton Harrison, Oklahoma guy as well. Can move back over to left tackle. He's did well at right tackle this year. Then you got Tyler Guyton, a more natural right tackle. You slot him in there. I think he fits for their their uh, what they're looking for there. In regards to traits, uh, Quinion Mitchell going to the Rams at 19. They need cornerback help. Need secondary help, I should say. Quinion Mitchell could probably go even higher than this. Honestly, wouldn't be surprised he went higher than this. Uh, second corner taken, though. Then Steelers taking Jackson Powers Johnson. They need help in the offensive line big time. They need to improve their rush offense. The Oregon Ducks, one of the best rushing teams in all of college football last year. Bucky Irving, great player. For Oregon, completely different running back to that of uh, Najee Harris, but they need to improve the interior offensive line. Could go right tackle here, move Broderick Bins back. Broderick Bins, Iowa. Broderick Jones back to left tackle, where he played at Georgia. And you draft like a Marius Mims, or you draft Tyler Guy, who's someone that Mike Tomlin talked to at the Senior Bowl. But Jackson Powers Johnson, one of the better players at the Senior Bowl, someone Mike Tomlin talked to there, and Mike Tomlin is somebody that takes serious precaution. Uh, precaution, not the right word, but. Takes a lot of weight in the senior bowl. So I think that if he talked to him, I think that's a big sign that they're definitely looking at him. And I think the off the line's an area that they're looking at, even though secondary could be an option as well. Uh Dolphins, uh Troy Fautanu. Fautanu. Uh, let tackle at Washington, but may or may not kick inside the guard. They have drafted the Dolphins. I feel like I've drafted a hundred tackles in the past however many years or signed tackles. Like, there's so many people on this team that play tackle that don't play tackle anymore. Like, I think everybody on their starting off the line play tackle. Like, you look at Taron Armstead, obviously play tackle. Uh, Robert Hunt played tackle at Louisiana, kicked inside the guard. You've got Liam Eikenberg played tackle at Notre Dame. He played guard and center. Austin Jackson's played tackle. He's also played some guard. And Connor Williams, I'm pretty sure, was a tackle at Texas, and he kicked inside the guard when he got drafted by the Cowboys and now plays center. So I think that it fits that mold. And he's Fauton, who's very athletic, could fit really well in this Dolphins zone run scheme. He's very athletic, which, again, with all the athletes and speed the Dolphins have when they're off the side of the ball, I think that definitely fits there. Do we keep going? What other picks? The Cowboys are Marius Mims, right tackle, but he's only played 15 games, or was it eight games? I get the numbers confused between him and Guyton. He started only eight games at Georgia, so he's very raw. You got Tyrone Smith there. He's, a, I guess, technically a free agent, but probably will re-sign him. Have him learn there. I mean, Tyler Smith was a raw prospect when you drafted him, and he became an all-pro or one of the all-pro. Was he second-team all-pro guard this past year? 
He was either way. He was a very good guard, regardless if he made the All Pro team or not. He's very good guard this year. And Mims, very athletic, just very massive human being, six foot seven, three forty. Just typical Georgia guy. Like makes no sense how big he is now, how well he moves. But yeah, his ceiling's really high. He'll fit with what the Cowboys want to do. They need to continue to build the O line. Packers take Cooper DeGene. Packers have taken defenders apart from Jordan Love every single year since I'm pretty sure 2011. Yes, they could go with like an offensive tackle here with Bakhtiari getting older and seemingly wanting to go to the Jets this year and with all the injuries they've had, but they trade Rasul Douglas to Buffalo midway through the year. Don't really know what um, Jerry Alexander's future holds. Cooper DeGene's an Iowa guy. They love drafting Iowa guys. They obviously drafted Lucas Van Ness last year. Cooper DeGene can also play safety if need be, though I think he's perfectly fine playing corner. Obviously adds a threat in the special teams as well. I think he just makes sense for the Green Bay Packers. Then keep scrolling, keep scrolling. The Bills, Brian Frank, or Troy Franklin from Oregon, uh, six foot three. Not the, necessarily the thickest guy out there, but they're probably losing Gabe Davis this offseason. At least that's what it seems like. I like I, I like Gabe Davis. I think he's fine, but there's it's just so inconsistent. He could go off for like six catches for one eighty one game, and then have one catch, eight yards, and four drops the next game. Like there's no in between really with Gabe Davis. Though I, I appreciate what he's done in his time at Buffalo, I'm pretty confident he's gone. And Troy Franklin, like for despite being 187 pounds, allegedly, that's what he's listed at, uh, he's ranked in the top 50 for broken and missed tackles per reception last year, which just feels like a Bills trait. Like you look at the running backs they've drafted, apart from James Cole, like Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, when they drafted them, were both in the top five in broken tackles for running backs. Troy Franklin fits that for a wide receiver. He's able to separate... Atop the defense will also work the underneath routes. Can play in the slot as well. I think he'd be a very nice speed option for the Bills. There are some drop concerns, but so you could argue that they're just drafting Gabe Davis again. But I think he'd be very, very nice for what the Bills want to do on offense. Him, Diggs, Khalil Shakir, Dolan Kincaid. I think it'd be a very fun offense moving forward. James Cook, obviously Josh Allen there. Got to get Josh more weapons. That's the main goal. You drafted Kincaid last year, which was awesome. Now you got to keep adding more. I think D tackle is definitely an option there. Safety, they're getting older there, but I don't think there's anyone to draft in the first round. So I think you're looking at D tackle or maybe edge rusher. I don't know, but those are probably three positions, three or four positions there. And then the last one I want to talk about is the Chiefs. I am taking Darius Robinson from Missouri. He's a D tackle edge rusher combo. I know he's not a wide receiver. I know he's not. But the Chiefs have needed a first-round wide receiver the past, ever since Tyreek Hill left, and both times they've drafted wide receivers in the second round of Sky Moore and Rasheed Rice. So I don't necessarily – I'm not going to rule it out, but unless there's one of the – unless they like Lad McConkey, I think Troy Franklin would fit with what they want to do in Kansas City. But D-tackle, there's no guarantees Chris Jones comes back. He's 30 years old anyways, regardless of the contract situation. And Spagnola loves himself some bigger defensive linemen, like edge rushers, bigger defensive linemen. And they're also going to – Manny Hughes coming off an ACL injury. Uh, Dana is a free agent, I believe, too. And obviously Chris Jones is a free agent, so it depends on what you get him back for. If you get him back at all, you can put Robinson as a three-tag. You put him as an edge rusher. You look at George Karlaftis was drafted in the first round, bigger defensive end, and he's versatile. Spagnola loves himself some versatile defenders. They run a lot of stunts, so he definitely fit with what they want to do. And – He's a local kid. Obviously, Columbia, Missouri is not necessarily right next to Kansas City, but he's a Missouri prospect. You drafted Felix Anaduke Uzama last year in the first round from Kansas State, so just continue that trend right there. You got Nick Bolton at linebacker. They played together, him and Robinson at Missouri. So continue the strength of defense. The defense has been built off rookies. 
pretty much. Trent McDuffie is 2-0 in Super Bowls. He got drafted last year. Or two years ago, sorry. That's what sucks. They draft. They trade up to draft him. The Bills traded up to draft Kalishka. Uh, Kalishka. They traded up to draft uh, Kyrie Elam. That's, that hurts a little bit. <laughs> that hurts a little bit. But in hindsight, they also traded up to draft Sky March. I think the Bills kind of won it, but they got James Cook out of the deal instead. So that one kind of worked out. But McDuffie over Elam kind of hurts. Not going to lie, that kind of hurts because McDuffie was one of the best players in the Super Bowl. Like, that dude's so good. The Chiefs defense is young and very, very good. And Spagnola, this is his fourth Super Bowl championship as a coordinator. I think that's the most all-time. There's no coordinators in the Hall of Fame. Because if usually if you're a good coordinator, you get a chance to be a head coach. But Spagnola was not necessarily the best head coach in his time in the NFL. Obviously, he was the coach of the St. Louis Rams for a little bit. But it, it, I Hall of Fame, I think there's a conversation. But it's just... It's just so hard because he doesn't. He wasn't very good as a head coach, so it's kind of hard to go like, yeah, get him in the Hall of Fame just as a coordinator, but he's done great things with the Kansas City Chiefs with a very young defense that Brett Veach has built for him, and it's it's been very good, and I think they continue doing that unless they go wide receiver. Those are their top needs. I think tackle could be an option there with Donovan Smith being a free agent and Juwan Taylor leading the league in penalties this year. Those two could definitely be options, but I would go with the, the defensive lineman maybe earlier, and they get the wide receiver later. Because, again, like I said, this is a very deep receiving class. This might be the deepest receiving class of all time, at least one of them. Like, There's so many receivers you could even look at for first-round options. So we obviously got the five we mentioned, but then you got, like, Xavier Leggett, Ladd McConkie, Adonai Mitchell, Tez Walker, Xavier Worthy, uh, Keon Coleman from Florida State. You've got, like, non-first-round guys like Brendan Rice. Luke McCaffrey is another guy from Rice, Barr. Uh, Roman Wilson from Michigan, Ricky Pearsall from Florida. Roman Wilson feels like a Chiefs guy. I think he could be a second-round pick for the Chiefs. You go Darius Robinson, Roman Wilson in the second round, hey, I think that's a very good option here. But, uh, yeah, that's Mock Draft 1.0. Make sure, again, to check it out on the LoganBlymanShow.com. Go into the blog section, check it out there. Also, before we close out today, final thing I want to talk about here, because we brought Spags. People are going to talk about him being a Hall of Famer, so you're going to get the conversation that he's the greatest coordinator of all time. There's a lot of conversation starting around the Chiefs and greatest of all time stuff. So I'm just going to ask you, the audience, the listening audience, do the Chiefs have the greatest coach, the greatest quarterback, the greatest tight end, the greatest coordinator of all time? Do they have those? Because after the Super Bowl, we were sitting there talking, and Mahomes... I have been convinced has now moved to third all-time in quarterbacks behind Manning and Montana, or Man- Brady and Montana, sorry. Passing Manning. And I sat there for a little bit because I was already said he was better than Elway. We already had him four. But after the Super Bowl, I was sitting there. I was like, it's now guy's third Super Bowl. He's got three Super Bowl MVPs. He's got two regular season MVPs. Is he top three all-time now? Did he pass Manning? Brady said yes. And then as we started talking about it, as I started thinking about it, it was like, Manning has the five regular season MVPs. He has two Super Bowl rings. Obviously lost another one of the Saints, but in the Seahawks. But what do you look at for... Because that's a record MVPs, five of them. Now, one of them's joint with Steve McNair. I think that might be the last time we've had a joint MVP, isn't it? Could be wrong. But I know that one was joint. I couldn't think of there was another time in there. But I think he probably has moved to third. So you're looking at man, or geez, Brady, Montana, 
Like Montana, I think is that's gonna be a tough hill to climb. Like people are already they're already talking about him being better than Brady. You're just passing over Joe Montana like that. Like seriously, I saw uh, David Carr made a list of Mount Rushmore quarterbacks. He put John Elway on there, which is fine before Mahomes, but he said his reasoning was John Elway went to so many Super Bowls. John Elway went to five Super Bowls, lost three of them, won two. Joe Montana went to four and won all four of them. How are you going to try and bring up John Elway in Super Bowls when Joe Montana literally went to four and won all four and won three MVPs out of those Super Bowls and threw 11 touchdowns and no interceptions in said Super Bowls when he won MVPs? Like, he beat John Elway in one Super Bowl. Or his team beat John Elway in one Super Bowl. But you can't bring up Super Bowls with John Elway to put him on Mount Rushmore and not have Joe Montana on there at all. That's asinine. So, yeah, that was kind of crazy. But Joe Montana, silky name, too. One of the best names of all time. But Andy Reid being the best coach of all time, I think it's got more weight to it now than it did years ago because, hey, Bill Belichick, legacy kind of took a dip after Brady left. To a lot of people out there. Greatest defensive mind in NFL history, but greatest head coach of all time that's now been thrown into a little bit more of a question mark. So it's kind of how you feel about it. But... Like, I saw this as well. We There were some people out there that said, can Brady and Belichick do it without each other? Mahomes, or Mahomes hasn't won without Andy Reid. Andy Reid never won without Patrick Mahomes. He went to a lot of NFC, NFC Championship games. Lost a lot of them, too. Went to one Super Bowl, lost to Brady and Belichick. I don't think that matters, but you know what? I saw it, so I brought it up. But Kelsey versus Gronk. So it's Mahomes now top three all-time quarterback. Kelsey's already been number two tight end. Andy Reid's probably top. Well, he is probably top two t- coach of all time, right? Probably top two. So obviously, again, Joe Gibbs, Tom Landry, Vince Lombardi, George Hallis, uh, Bill Parcells. We I mean, got some good coaches. We got some good coaches in there, but there's probably some I'm even forgetting about. But I think Joe Gibbs doesn't give enough respect. And I got, I did get my stat wrong when I talked about it a couple months, uh, like a couple weeks ago. He won three Super Bowls with three quarterbacks. Not in three decades. He won his first one like 83. I thought it was in the 70s. It was in the 80s. So he won two in the 80s, one in the 90s. Still, the other stuff still stands. Three quarterbacks, three Super Bowls. But, yeah, it's we're an interesting conversation here. And Spagnola, I mean, Bill Belichick's probably the greatest defensive coordinator of all time. So I, I, I don't know. Because he's also a very good head coach. Steve Spagnola wasn't a very good head coach. So I don't know. It just depends on how you want to look at it. Steve Spagnuolo, Hall of Fame coordinator, which has never been done before. Who knows? Time will tell. I mean, Antonio Gates was in first battle Hall of Famer, so I don't know anything about the Hall of Fame anymore now. But uh, that's all I've got for you today. I don't think I really have anything else to touch on today. Oh, the Combine. The Combine got announced the other day. Michigan has 18 players in the Combine. 18. The record was 16 by LSU, that Joe Burrow team. 16, Michigan has 18 players entering the combine. And then Washington has 13, Florida State 12, Texas and Georgia have 11, Alabama and Penn State have 10. Record for most invites from a single school since 2003 for Michigan. So there must have been others before then. But, uh, yeah, in the Chiefs dynasty, is this the greatest dynasty of all time? Who knows? Who really knows? So you also got the Patriots dynasties. You got the Dallas Cowboys in the 90s, which was, what, four years, five years? And then you've got the 49ers, obviously. 
The Steelers won four Super Bowls with J- to Terry Bradshaw, Chuck Knoll. Or not Chuck. Uh, why am I blanking? Okay, Chuck Knoll. I don't know why I was. <laughs> I don't know why I froze there. I don't know why I froze like that. But yeah, we've got some uh, interesting conversations here. Interesting conversations here. How much the blame is Kyle Shanahan for a Super Bowl losses every single year? Is he on the hot seat? Doubt it. But you never know. You never know who's on the hot seat. And who is it? But <laughs> he's not. But. That's all I've got for you today. Hope you enjoyed. If you didn't, I sincerely apologize. Make sure to, again to check out Mock Draft 1.0 on the Logan Blackman Show.com. I've been Logan Blackman. This has been a long show, but it was needed because we haven't done this in a while. I will see you all later. Peace.